What would you do if you had your entire childhood, teen years, and even young adult life documented on video? Well, if you were born today, that would be commonplace. You wouldn't really know a time before smartphones, Wi-Fi, or tablets. Back in the day, those words didn't even have a meaning yet. From about 1980 to about 2006, my father always had a video camera shooting, capturing, documenting our lives. As an adult and coming across these boxes of tapes, I've made it my goal to import and archive as much of this footage as I can. I want to preserve it before these analog tapes deteriorate. I started importing footage around 2009, and what you're about to listen to here was intended to be an in-depth podcast episode about my life, but it has evolved into much more than that. My best friend Brandon Zeller sat down with me and asked me questions that really had me reflecting about my life. I want to personally thank him for taking the time to write this and for asking me questions that really took me back. Some of his questions, in fact, I've never been asked before, and some were very difficult for me to answer openly. Once this interview was complete and I started editing the audio portion of it, it sparked a great opportunity. I thought I could now showcase and overlay this video footage and audio clips and pictures, all these things that I've been documenting all these years. This was a deep dive podcast episode about my life, yes, but it evolved into a historical memoir retold through my own words, analog tapes of home movies, and hundreds of pictures. If there are two things I'm most proud of with this, it's that this project has allowed me to finally showcase what the Heine House is all about. A safe place for friends, the bond of family, and the mindset where following your heart is always the right path. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. This is going to be a completely different departure um, from what we're normally used to on the podcast episodes here. Uh, the format will be completely different. And I'm calling it a podcast episode because I'm uploading it as a podcast episode. I have my good friend, Brandon, with me today. Brandon, hello. Thank you for being here. Hello. We are going to just have a <laughs> like camp campfire. What are we calling this? campfire side chat or something just but what's happening is we're sitting down to talk about my life brandon came to me to basically say dude your 10-year uh retrospective episode which was 38 was great to listen to and that is true i've had lots of people write to me and tell me that it's great to listen to where i basically summarized the last 10 years of my life in like a four-hour episode and it was it was great to do that and it was very freeing for me and it was it was great to talk about stuff and look back and see where i was and where i came from and then see the growth and see a little bit of the future and it was really really great but a lot of people have connected with that episode i mean i can brandon i can let you describe a little bit about kind of the theory and and stuff behind it i just thought it would be interesting and fun for your viewers and or listeners, I guess, to be able to see more like an in-depth look at yourself, because I guess when people are on, you know, YouTube or do podcast, Twitch, that kind of thing, people really only see like one side of like, I don't want to say like your happy side, but like the more you kind of put on a, a face to be entertaining, to be in an entertaining spot. Right. Uh, so people don't get to see the other side of you, your day-to-day -day life that, you know, your friends, family, staff. And 
uh, there's also, I think it would be interesting to go more into yourself to be able to show your listeners a little bit more personal side of yourself. So, cause like you said, in that episode, I think people really connected to uh, having an honest conversation about, you know, the ups and uh, the unfortunate downs of, you know, life. So very true. Very true. And when you brought it up, I was kind of like, okay, you know, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. And then we talked more and more about it and you're like, you know, if there's, you know, think about, you know, here are some of my suggestions and things like questions. He sent me like this document of like some rough draft questions he was going to ask me and they were very in depth. And I'm like, wow, I've, I've actually never been asked any of these questions before by anyone, especially in this form. So yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to, to do it. I think it's great. I'm always up for connecting more with people. So this may be, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't really care. We're going to sit down. It's going to be super casual. We have absolutely no uh, preconceived notion of like what's going to happen or what we're going to talk about here other than, you know, the stuff that some notes that um, Brandon has. And uh, we're just going to just chat like we always do as friends. So um, I'm really glad that if you guys want to stick around and listen to it and learn some more um, about this crazy SOB. <laughs> I think it would be fun because I guess in your in your last episode, you did uh, kind of the last 10 years of your life. So I think it'd be interesting to start just at the beginning of your life. I, I mean, I've been friends with you for almost 10 years now. And I, I still, I mean, I know a little bit about your your childhood, but I don't, I haven't really heard anything about how that molded you as a person or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I grew up in, in Portland, Oregon, of course. And, um, it was a great place. Uh, my parents, you know, they're all from there and it was a great place to raise a family. My childhood was, was really, it was great. Uh, I had a great upbringing and something that I look back on and, and it's something that I hold very dear to me, even to this day, I think it's it's influenced me a lot. Something that I I look back on very fondly, even to this day. I have two brothers, Kyle and CJ. Uh, one older, one younger. I'm the middle child, so uh, you know the best part of the sandwich, brothers, right in the middle. That's what I always said, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, like music was always around our house. You know, growing up, my parents, they they both are very much into music. You know, my dad was. Um, very much into music. He was a DJ, had turntables, records, the whole thing. They did, they broadcasted radio stations out of their, out of their attic in their childhood home, you know, grandma's house. So like that was always around, um, you know, my mom, she was, she was in choirs, she was singing. Um, she was, you know, always doing that. So music was a big part of our, our early days and me not even really realizing it, that that was actually in very, um, influential to me. My mom always tells a story that when I was young, I would sit like um, if ever I was crying, she would always just like put me in the little playpen in front of the TV and turn on like um, the TV or if there's music playing or MTV or put on a record or something. And I'd always just be like that would calm me down and I would just be like I would be crying or something. And I just I would totally just stop and I would just start like dancing, like holding the side like do 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 like that's something that, you know, pretty early on. Uh, music as, as you know was a stimulant for me, and uh, I think that definitely shows something very early on. My parents, when they got married, right out they got married pretty much right out of college. They were moving around from place to place, trying to kind of you know 
you know, they had a few different places, you know, homes that they were, they were getting and then kind of fixing up and then selling. And, you know, the, I mean, I feel like the market was a lot different and everything back then, but, uh, they did that a few times and, um, you know, finally settled at a house there in Clackamas where I, I pretty much say like I was born and raised in Clackamas pretty much for the most part. Um, very, very nice house. Um, you know, my dad worked his ass off. My mom worked her ass off uh, to really do for their kids. And that was the big thing about it is that my parents lived for their kids, to, to give to their kids, to provide for the family and their kids. And and this is one thing, and this is actually the whole reason why Heine House even exists, even that term of where it came from was the Heine House was the place to be for everyone. Like we would hang out and have a great time. Even when we were young, like birthday parties and stuff, we'd have friends over. My friends would be like, can I spend the night over at Jason's house? You know, like we would have the cool place to be. We'd have the video games. We had the music. Like we had the Capri Suns and the fruit snacks, you know, like my mom would always make sure that there was food and stuff. Like it was a cool place to be. And so I'm, I look back on that and, you know, as a kid, you don't really think about it, but I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that, um, you know, my, my family did all that uh, and we didn't know any different, right? You know, we don't know any different. I'm like summarizing, you know, but there's just so much that you can talk about in here. Um, can you remind me, I, like you said, Kyle's younger than you, CJ's older than you. What's the, the age gap there between uh, all of you? Yeah, Kyle, my younger brother is five years younger. And my, my older brother, CJ, he's two years older. Okay. Because I do know all three of you, even though being brothers are fairly different people. Did you, uh, did you all kind of, you know, stick together or was it kind of like you all had your own groups and did your own things or was that, or is it more of like a, a group a family? Like, did you guys do things together? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, there, it, I would say it would be like an evolution. Things kind of evolved. So when we were younger together, you know, like my older brother and I, we were pretty much inseparable. We were only two years apart. So it was, it was, you know, that was pretty inevitable. Then as we got older, um, there came a time when, you know, he, he was just two years older. He wanted to go and do older brother things. And I was kind of like, I was sort of old enough, right? But not exactly. But it wasn't too much of a difference. Like his his group of friends were not like my group of friends. So we didn't actually connect on that level. But there was no like drama or issues with that. Like they they did their own thing. We did our own thing. You know, we would party together and hang out. But there was definitely, um, I would say probably in like junior high and early high school, there was like um, not a disconnect, but there was definitely two different groups of friends, right? Um, yeah. My younger brother, that's a little bit more interesting because, I mean, the five years, when you're young, it's not that big of a deal. But when you start to get older, right, when you think about it, when he's 10 years old, right, he's just a kid, I'm 15 or when he's 11, I'm 16 getting my driver's license. Like I'm doing, I'm like, I'm saying I'm doing grown up shit. Like I'm doing big boy stuff. Like I'm, I'm driving a car and he's like 11. Like you don't yeah. want to hang out with your 11 year old brother, <laughs> you know? You're like, hey, I'm trying to go out and like have some fun. Like I'm trying to hang with friends, you know, like I'm trying to meet people here. I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to party. I'm not trying to hang out with my 11 year old brother. So we definitely had, I'd say in, in my teen years, we had some issues with that. And I'm like, no, like go jump on the trampoline, go play 
go play with your friends. Like I have my friends, you have your friends. That all changed. That all changed pretty quick once, you know, 18, you know, 19, 20. You know what I mean? When I was getting a little bit older and then he was getting a little bit older, a little bit more mature. And then we started to have very similar interests. Um, and I think it, of course, it's the fact of little brother looking at big brother, right? Wanting to emulate and be like big brother. That makes sense. Uh, I think siblings all have that, that instinct. And so a lot of things like that did happen. Um, he got into drumming. He's a fabulous, fantastic drummer. Gobs and gobs of natural talent doing that. Um, you know, him also getting into to cars and getting into Hondas and stuff like that. And we, we did that together. We did a lot of that together. Uh, and so, yeah, and through, I would say through the 2000s, really late nineties and early 2000s, all the way until I moved in, in 2007, we were pretty much inseparable. We did a lot together. Yeah, we did a lot together. We we're very close. And then CJ, uh, my older brother, he had moved. He moved in like 2001. Actually, he came down here to Arizona. So he moved. And so not that we lost contact, but also remember this was 2001. I mean, when did I talk to him? Do we send emails? No. I mean, we just pick up the phone and physically call, right? Like maybe I got on AIM, <laughs> talked to him on AIM. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, we, we didn't talk a whole lot. You know, he was wanting to spread his wings and live his life. And, uh, you know, we were doing the same. And then I guess I, I still haven't known this about you. Did you grow up in like a, a religious family or was there any like politics that your like your parents followed, anyone in your family followed? Uh, did they have those, but you, they just kind of let you free reign, decide for yourself? It's a great question. My family, my parents, it, it actually drove me nuts uh, as a kid because they always would have... It was like it was like a ritual. When my dad get home from work, he'd always have the five o'clock news on. I hate the news. I'm gonna just put that out there. I hate the news. I hate Fox. I hate CNN. I hate the local news. I hate all of that. I do not watch it. I find it to be completely annoying and dysfunctional and negative, and it's terrible. They just report the bullshit drama. I don't want to say it's like a form of brainwashing, but I think it kind of is in a way. If you're bombarded with with that constantly every day, all the time, sometimes you may you may lean a certain way that they want you to feel or they want you to think. So these are things that are like I'm watching this. I'm like, you come home and you sit and you watch this news and all they're talking about is who died and who's missing and and who bombed who. And like, yes, yeah, so like we need to know these things. Like there's dysfunction going on in the world and we should know about this. But it's like, man, do you want to sit and listen to that every day? So it really bothered me. Um, that really, really bothered me. And so I would try to get away from that and just be like not a part of that. Trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around the question. I'm going to come back to it. Is that, so that, me having that already like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to make up my own mind and not watch this sort of thing. My parents, and I think one of the greatest things that they could have ever done for us kids is to allow us to have our own mind and make up our own decisions and not force us to adhere to whatever beliefs they had. Think about that for a second. How many people do you know um, they're, they're following a religion or they're following um, a political view or they're, they're following a certain path that their parents did because that's just the right thing to do, right? That's just what 
their parents said to do. So it must be right. And in fact, this goes back to what I said. I say, I've said this a few times on the show is when we're younger, we look up to our parents. We look up to whoever's taking care of us. Maybe it's not your parents, you know, um, maybe it's a, a grandparent or maybe it's a, uh, you're a foster family, you know, a foster parent or something like that. Uh, your guardian, whoever's taking care of you, you look up to them. So you want to believe that what they say to you or what they, what they, what they tell you is truth. And in, and in some cases, what if that person's a fuck up? Like, just be real. Like, what if that person's a fuck up and is not in the children's best interest? I mean, that's reality. That's just real. That's not being mean. That's just reality. Getting back to the question, though, is no, my parents never said, Jason, you need to believe in God. Jason, you need to believe in, in the devil. Jason, you need to believe in this or that. Jason, you need to you need to vote for this president. Jason, you need to be left. You need to be right. Never said any of this. Never had a conversation about it. What they did say, this is what they said to me. Make up your own mind. That's all they said to me. Make up your own mind. Research it, learn it, make up your own mind. I think that was the greatest and most amazing thing they could have said because they respected the fact that we do have our own minds and lives and that we're in control of them. And I think that's, I think that's brilliant. And again, this is, this is all parts and why, and when I talk more about this, you're going to see me circling back and always talking about my, my parents and, and very high, high praise is because I'm best friends with my family, my parents. They made it so that we could be best friends. They enabled that. And they were great people for that. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. No one is. There's issues, you know. My dad and my mom are like fire and water. I'm telling you, <laughs> if there, if there are two opposite people in the world married, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. But to circle back to the question, no, they never did say and or force us one way in political and our religion, and that is something I'm super thankful for because being an adult and looking at it and looking at the entire situation of it, I'm able to make up my own mind and see things for what they are. I guess with that sort of influence coming in that way where I guess there really wasn't an influence, did you go into that section of looking for anything like that to help you through anything? Or was it just kind of something that just never really touched your radar because it never was an influence? Are you talking about like religion or politics? Yeah, either one. The two big ones. You notice I never talk about these. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard. It is sure. hard. It's hard because the problem is is that people will hear this and they'll be like, oh, wow, well, I don't agree with his views. So I'm going to unfollow and never be like, fuck him. You know what I mean? Like, boom. And there's the problem. There's the problem. And that's exactly the issue. I'm not saying this is going to happen to any of you listening. I'm just saying in general, what, here's what I found. Here's what I found. And I'll be honest, dude, I, I, I have given everything a fair shot. I've given everything a fair shake. I've, I've even got, to be honest, I've gone out of my way to date religious women. And in fact, to try to learn more about it because it wasn't in my wheelhouse. I remember this one girl I dated. Um, one, one of our, <laughs> one of our first dates, <laughs> one of our first dates, we went to church. All right. And I'm, I'm laughing is because they, what they said to her after, after I left. And this is all part of the, my, my theory on how I just think the whole, 
it's so dysfunctional and it's a lot of it, not, not all of it, but man, it's like, why do I got to act this way? So we went on a date and, and we went to, and I, she's like, we're going to go to church on Sunday. I said, great, let's go. Sounds wonderful. And we went and we went and we, we spent, you know, time there and, you know, we were, we were there, we were worshiping, we were praying and, you know, they were singing and it was, it was great. It was great music, great, incredible fucking bands. Holy shit. You want to find a good band get your ass to church. You walk into that church, boy, any of those musicians are top-notch musicians. They should be playing every gig in Hollywood. They're incredible. It's a very, very good band. But yeah, like they introduced, you know, introduced me to people and I was, you know, hello, hello. And I was being very friendly and stuff, you know, I'm doing my, my absolute best. And, you know, I dressed up and made sure I looked presentable and this and that. After the fact, they, she broke up with me. She broke up with me like the next day. And she's like, yeah, my church, um doesn't think that you're you're the one and I'm like the one what are we talking about here I didn't propose to you we're just we're just I'm just hanging out with you what are you what the fuck so they're already one in one day judging me scheming at me looking at me plotting shit and saying that to her and she's like okay cool yeah well if my church thinks that's cool then I'm gonna I'm gonna do that Make up your own fucking mind, girl. You know what I mean? Like, what's up with that? Like, this does that not is that not weird to you? Is that not weird to anyone listening? You know what I mean? I just think that's I think that's disrespectful and weird and judgmental. And I just I'm like, wait a minute, if that's going on inside there, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why why are you why are you going every Sunday here to do that? And I mean, like, this isn't the first time. This isn't the first time that something like that has happened. Not necessarily like I gone on dates with, with girls that went to church that I then got broken up with. I mean, I have been around, I have done work. I've done, I've had business relationships with churches and the stuff that I've heard in some of these churches would blow your mind, would blow your mind. And so, so I'm, again, this comes back to like, I'm not saying that like religion is, is horrible. I'm not saying that this is bad. What I'm saying is, is that some people whether they're religious or not, I don't care what the situation is, that some people are just bad apples there, man. There's just there's just bad negativity, dysfunction, disrespect, racism, sexism. There are issues. There are cult shit going on at some of these. That's just reality. I mean, and that's just those are just from my eyes. Okay. These are just from my eyes. They can be different from your eyes. Wonderful. That's just like, these are what my eyes have seen, my ears have heard, and I'm just speaking it. I'm just saying it. It's just, uh, it's, I don't know, it's getting pretty heavy, but I mean, that's just, I've never told that story before. I was hoping to never tell that story. <laughs> this story, I was like, I will never have an opportunity to tell that. Uh, reli religion or our political brand? Not either or. <laughs> <laughs> He's digging you said you wanted to talk about I things. Know, so. I know, I know. We're going, we're going. I mean, we're, 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 we're knee deep. It's okay. No, it's good. It's good to speak your mind. I think, I think it's wise to speak your mind because the thing is what I've found out about myself a lot is that I, I try to be, uh, uh, in every situation, I try to be real about it. And I, I want to be real in the fact that I will only be as real as what is presented and shown to me. I'm not going to just fabricate some shit if it's not there. If I see something and I'm experiencing something, then there should be no reason why I should not be able to talk about it and say it, right? 
There should be no reason why I should be suppressed and not say it. People get really, really, really agitated with political and religious discussions. And this is why I don't ever bring it up because I say one thing and then people are like, oh, no, no, that's bullshit. You're totally wrong. You know what I mean? Like we have these two different sides. It's basically like just a battle between I think I'm right. No, I think I'm right. No, I'm right. You're wrong. No, I'm right. You're wrong. It's like a it's like kids in a fucking play place just attacking each other. Like, what is it? It's the same thing with like news. News is trying to come up with the fucking best article they can, they can with the headlines. Oh, News Channel 6. We're going to have to beat News Channel 8 by saying this article better than them by using keywords and spice words to try to get it to sound sort of like the truth. But I mean, like they just it's just a battle, you know, I, I hate all that. And, and in the end, I'm like, folks would love to be a part of everything you're doing. But why is it all drama? Why are you guys all arguing? Why are you all thinking that you're all better than everyone? We're all the same, aren't we? What is happening here? It's weird, man. It's weird to me. I mean, I guess you you worry about people having some sort of uh, conflict with what you just said there. But I think I'd probably say around like 70% of the world agree with you on that. I think a lot of people are in that middle ground where, I mean, people will agree on, you know, a Republican, Democrat side of things. But I think there is a huge majority of people that reside in the middle that can discern that I agree with this, but there is issues that need to be dealt with. But the problem is that that viewpoint is not uh, portrayed on news because the people that run those news sites and, you know, the church and all that kind of stuff, they want, you know, to be on that huge uh, bias. So there's the really huge disconnect there with, you know, the huge company saying something despite you know, a lot of people probably even working for that company don't have that, that viewpoint. So, right. Right. It's strange. Yeah. No, you, you said it really well. And the thing is too, and I didn't even touch upon this. There's another huge factor that play a role in all of this that we haven't even mentioned yet. Money. Right. That huge actually factor. controls <laughs> all of it. I mean, let's be real. This shit is a business. It's a real business. Do you think anyone would be investing this energy and time and effort and doing all this if there was no money involved? Think about that for a second. I think you'd have a very small group of people who are the freedom fighters on the front line. I think it'd be a very small number. And that is really sad. Right. It's kind of the same with my own personal experience. I mean, I mean, we did kind of go to church and stuff when I was young, but... It was kind of more so my parents were separated. So it was usually my mom that took us and she gave us kind of like a timeline that you could, you know, test this out. If you don't like it, we'll get to this certain age and then you can continue to keep going, continue to not that sort of thing, mm -hmm. which uh, I really like too. Uh, but then there was definitely some things that came up with, you know, our pastor that, you know, my mom got divorced and, you know, that's, uh, that's against the rules. You can't, you're supposed to work things out and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, me being gay, people clearly don't like that in the church. So that was a huge derailment for me. Mm. But 
Just those, um, just those two facts, not to interrupt yeah. you, but those two facts right there, that right there gets my blood boiling. That gets me so upset that, that, that those two things would even be a thing. Like, oh, you're divorced? Oh, you're gay? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. What the fuck? Why is that even, why is that even a thing? Yeah. It's, ma- it's madness, and, dude. And I did go through a really, very large, I mean, I was probably... You know, 17, 18 or so when that happened. And uh, the divorce thing was way earlier. That was when we were like 10 or whatever, but I, I wasn't old enough to understand it. And I didn't hear about that until, you know, I was a lot older and my mom told me that. But I did go through a huge stage of I didn't want to go just for those two things. And yeah, then, why would you? Why would you? So, yeah, I went through like a very large, you know, I don't want to support this. And then, you know, you do hit, you know, 20, all that kind of things. And then you kind of understand that that was one person that was telling us that. So you can't really group all of those people into that standard. Right. I mean, I still don't, I still don't really go or anything like that. I feel like organized religion like that is, I have problems with for a lot of reasons, but I I have grown to be a lot less angry about it though. So, I mean, I guess that has changed for me. As long as you can become less angry and not hang on to it, that is huge. I definitely have issues with that. I hang on to stuff and I don't really forget and sometimes don't even forgive. And it adds to the stress that's on me. I think it just kind of talked about how you grew into that mentality of how you can separate yourself from what other people are doing and both be doing the right thing for themselves. Because like you said, you grew into like the the standard of, you know, if I don't go and I don't do this, that's what's best for me. And that works. And then you can also appreciate that if going to church and doing that is helpful and needed for them, then why not do it? So it's one of those things that you can, you can learn to separate those things out of a human being and still see them as a person. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of this also, and again, I'm thankful that my parents let me choose like which way to go. But I think a lot of this too is for me personally, when I was younger, (laughs) people would not know this now. You would not think so at all. But I was extremely shy. Very, very shy. In fact, I would not say a word to anybody except my family or the my friends or people I knew I was close to. Other than that, I was way too shy. I would never say anything. I think I raised my hand once. To like, hey, can I go to the bathroom? Other than that, I just fucking wet myself. I did not want to go. I did not want to talk to anyone. I was a, uh, I was definitely a late bloomer with puberty. So my voice was so high when I was in junior high. I didn't even want to talk then. It was crazy. Like when I was in, here's a really funny story. When I was in seventh grade, I had not hit puberty yet. So here we are. Early teens or whatever. What are we? We're 13, maybe, I guess, in junior high, seventh grade, something like that. And I'm walking around with my voice still super high. Dude, and all my friends, all my friends are like, they've got like a little tiny patch of hair. You know, they're doing their thing. They got like a little tiny beard. And I'm just like, bro, I don't even have peach fuzz. And I sound like this. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Heidi. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, I don't want to say anything. I was really embarrassed. And on top of it, having my last name, being made fun of when I was a kid and stuff, it just was a bad deal. That's why I was really shy. 
a big part of it too. In my early years, I was just shy in general. But then when I got older, it was kind of compacted with that. But then it was really funny because this, I remember when it happened too, because everyone was, even my mom was like, you're, you're what they consider a late bloomer, honey. It's okay. And I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) 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 It happened this summer going into eighth grade. I know it happened because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Like I was waiting for them to release fucking Donkey Kong country. Summer happened all of a sudden, wham, bam. I, I hit puberty I still didn't grow any hair on my face anywhere. Fuck, that didn't happen until I was 30, for fuck's sake. But yeah, my voice went, when from this? I, I went to junior, I went to eighth grade. I show up on the first day. Everyone's like, hey, Jason. I'm like, sup? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, shit. Wait, what? I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> hey, uh, and you guys want to play some wall ball later? <laughs> Oh my God. So yeah, that definitely helped my confidence. It definitely helped me being less shy around eighth grade, but oh my gosh, I was totally going on a different tangent here. I wanted to talk about something else and then I derailed. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, I was talking about Brandon's like, Jesus Christ. Hey, so here's the thing in being shy, I, I was not talking a lot, but what I was doing is I was using my other senses so I would be very observant. And that's one thing about me that has really helped. I would sit and I would not speak. I would watch. I would listen. So I would use my eyes and I would watch very closely. I would be very patient and I would use my ears and I would listen almost obsessively to situations, to what people were saying, to what was happening in the world, to what this person was doing with this person or saying this or where they were going or how they were how people were moving together or what they were, you know, like these are all things I would sit. Some of my, some of my greatest memories, Brandon, are when I was a child in the summertime and my birthday's in July. So I always loved summer. Summers were great for me because, well, you're a July birthday too, you know, we would, you know, summertime was fantastic in the Northwest. The best time to be there. I love it. It's beautiful. The smell changes. The, the sights change. Everything in the summertime in the Northwest changes and the, the environment and the, the weather and the, the nature, all of that plays a huge role. I would sit. Some of my fondest memories are just sitting on a curb. Sitting on a curb by myself, which I preferred. I really preferred to be by myself. And just looking up at the sky, looking at the clouds, seeing the shape, seeing if I can find a different shape in the clouds, smelling the pine, hearing the sounds of the birds, nature. There was an owl that would always live up there. I remember hearing it every summer. I can still hear it to this day. Just like that moment or those moments I would have really impacted me. And I would carry stuff like that. I would carry the ability to sit and watch and listen and be observant throughout my life. And I think it has really helped. It has helped me in determining right from wrong, determining when to do and when not to do. Um... You know, it has helped me in understanding situations better, I feel. And, you know, I attribute all that to the fact that I was just a shy kid that didn't really want to say anything um, at all. I mean, my mom enrolled me in swimming lessons and I didn't even want to get my head under the water. I would not. I was the only kid in the entire class who refused to put my head underwater because they always thought, they always thought I was just like scared to do it. But I remember the one time I did it, one time I did it, 
I could feel the pressure in my ears. Like I have really sensitive hearing. And I think it's the fact that why I love mixing and, and I, I, I love to make sounds sound good. And, and I have a knack for that now as an adult. But going back to even being in swimming lessons, like I'm like, I don't want to go under there because it hurts. And they're like, no, it doesn't hurt. You just don't want to get your face wet or your ears wet. And I'm just like, it actually hurts when I go under there. Like even going three feet down, dude, that pressure on my ears, it was immense. When I was a baby, dude, I would cry. Uh, when we, we, take, we used to take a flight. My dad will tell you the story. My dad held me in the airplane. They, they took a trip to Hawaii one year when I was just an infant. I still yell at them for that. Why would you do that? I think they wanted to take me out to show grandma and grandpa who were out there or something. Still, don't take, don't take your children. Don't take your infant on a flight because they just cry the whole time. Why? Because my ears were hurting. My ears were hurting so bad up on, on the airplane. And um, yeah, man, that was when I was an infant too. I don't know where we went, where we were, but I think I was talking about my my shyness is what I wanted to get back to. My shyness and my how I feel that has helped me in, in a lot of ways of being observant and understanding when to speak um, and when to when to act or, or what and when to notice things, right? When to notice things. I know some people who just don't who are like completely oblivious to like the situation like around them. You know what I mean? And that's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that like like, um, are you, are you noticing? Like, you're not noticing this. Okay. It's like, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. Uh, it's, it's crazy to understand what you can find out about situations in people. If you're just like the wallflower in the room, I was the same way in high school. I mean, I was very shy, very quiet. I mean, even when I started, you know, talking to you, it took me what, three years, do you know, to feel comfortable chatting with you like in an actual whatever room I was just very quiet so yeah I mean I was the same way though it's it's it is very weird what you can find out about people that they'll throw out into the world and they just think no one's listening but if you're just kind of sitting there and observing you'll you can find out a lot about people that's weird it is weird and you don't even have to say anything no yeah they just like, divulge the information for you <laughs> they do and you will instantly know seriously it's like Musician, like musicians have this, this a family, it's like this aura with musicians. Like we have the ability to like look at each other and not speak and know exactly what they're thinking just through their eyes, through what they're playing, through what we're hearing and through their body language. Like we know, and not every musician has that. Right. And it's something that I think is, it's inside of you and you have to just play with other people to find it. But there's been a lot of musicians who, who are fantastic and I've played with, but we cannot vibe. We don't vibe. Like we cannot get down with each other because we don't have, like we cannot connect on that level. And, and, and it's very similar. That's just a reference to like talking about musicians where I feel this is very, very crucial to the creative process. Um, but also that applies to everyday life. I mean, how many times have you walked into a room and you've met somebody and you just get a really bad impression? You get a really bad feeling about that person for whatever the case may be, whatever the reason may be. And I don't know what that reason is, but it could be something. Maybe it's the way that they uh, are presenting themselves. Maybe it's the way that they're, you know, they're talking about a situation. Maybe they're talking about others in a, in a weird way. Maybe they're 
they're they're kind of being sort of edgy in, in a conversation and saying something that's kind of inappropriate. Like there's a lot of different reasons, but for whatever reason, you get that vibe, you get that feel. I think that's an ability in itself to be able to, like you said, be the wallflower, just to kind of understand, um, understand your room, understand uh, the people in it and choosing to, to vibe or not vibe, you know? That's that's totally cool. That's all. That's also being very observant. It's a skill, I think. Yeah, I would definitely say it's a, a skill set that you you learn. I guess before we do go like further into uh, into high school and stuff, I guess I'm not really too sure on the the timeline there, but I do know that uh, for Christmas your your family got you the drum set. Uh, what year was that? And then um, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about, did you play any instruments before that? Did you have an interest in drumming or was it kind of just like a, a one shot thing there? Cause uh, as far as I know, I don't think CJ was really all into music. Was he, or am I wrong on that too? He played clarinet in school and band and he fucking hated it. <laughs> um, so no, but he, he was musical and is musical as well. Uh, he chose not to go after to pursue that. He did not care for it. Loves music. He he he's very much into music. Loves music. Um, and then same thing with my younger brother. Uh, I would say he's more musical, as in performing or with an instrument, than my older brother. Um, and then me, I'm just full gun ho on pretty much trying to play any and everything I can get my hands on. No, I had not played any instrument prior to me getting drums. What year was it? It was 1996. So see, six, seven, eight, it was 1996. And my mom had this bright idea that she, for this Christmas, she was going to get all three of us boys an instrument. Just for the hell of it. Crazy, I know. Sounds crazy. What, what parent would buy, let, a, dude, let alone a drum set? No one in their right mind should be getting their kids a drum set. Oh my gosh, it's so loud and annoying. You know what I mean? She went in. She went in. She went to um, she went to a music store. It's no longer there. It was off Powell Boulevard. I remember her always telling me the story. She went in and they gave her a great deal. She bought a, a blue. She wanted a blue drum set for me because blue is my favorite color. She wanted a blue drum set. She wanted a red guitar for CJ because red's his favorite color. And then she wanted to get Kyle a keyboard. And what she did, she bought him a little Casio keyboard with the stand and the music stand and had the speakers and stuff. It was really cool. So she bought all the stuff. And that was our Christmas gift that year, right? Yeah, we came down and there they were. <laughs> Minute now, let's see. <laughs> here they come, 1996. <clears throat> Remember, there's, there's two trees. Let's have all three of you come in here. Okay, come on in. Wait, all three of you. All three of you. Oh my gosh. Oh. Boy, is camera on or I cuss? Boy. Oh my effing God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God is right. Can I faint or can I just go? They're blue. Well, of course, sir Blue! Hook this up. I didn't put it together. <laughs> I know! What the hell? That's great. Look at the color. I know. That's cool. I expect great things uh, from you three. Last 
I'm like, Mom, did you ever find him a drum set? And she's like, no, we looked everywhere. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> There's a guitar over there, too, I believe, with an amp. That's what he said. He says, my God, he says, I didn't oh, even ask for that. I didn't see that. That's, right. That's why I said I expect great things from this, this family. And little, little Kyle on keyboard. <laughs> see, Kyle, there you go. There's your little stool. Yes. Sit down at your keyboard. Blue drums. They're just so cool. I know, they're blue. The master dance. Well, everybody moved out of the scene of action. So, Mom, leave that light on. Ah, you Merry Christmas. This is your dad. Oh, oh, oh. Turn the light on here. Oh, bananas and pajamas. Well, there should be something more for you here. Right? There he is. Do you like the Supremes? The seven set greatest hits of the Supremes. Oh. Oh. Well, I, like I hope my pants are not ripped in the crotch. Come over here and sit down. Pajamas in the More panties. Really? No, it's not in the pants. That really was like the day. That was the day that everything changed for me as far as like having an interest in music as as in performing it. Because, man, I I mean, I sat down on the drum set right there in the living room. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I wasn't even know if I was holding the sticks right. I knew nothing about anything. I didn't know what a snare was or a tom or a cymbal. I knew nothing. But it was just set up however however my dad set it up. You know, my dad had some somewhat of an idea, you know. Um, he set him up. And then I just, start, I just started playing. I, I crossed my hands and I just started to play a 4-4 rock beat. Just just a boom, chuck, boom, chuck, boom. And, and I remember this moment, man. I started playing it just like that. That's exactly how I played it. And everyone like in the kitchen, they looked over and they're look at each other and they're like, whoa, whoa, holy shit. Wait a minute. Have you, did you play, when did you play drums? And I'm like, I don't know. I never played drums. And it was this, this magical moment, dude, like seriously. And I'm like, I, I can actually do this. Like there's a, there's, I actually have a, the ability. Like I had no issues with coordination. That was weird. Like I could, I could do my, all, all four of my limbs, my two hands and my two feet could do something independently. And it was not a problem. There was no issues there. So I was straight tripping and I was so excited. And I just, I sat there and played that beat all day long. I annoyed everyone. I was fucking just, just all day long. It was so cool. And so, yeah, that was the moment that it changed, man. I was like, I can do this. This is really cool. There's, there's something really special about being a child and finding something that you're good at and, and finding that, that, um, I don't know if you want to call it a skill because I think a skill is something that you, you practice to perfection, but a, a natural, a natural ability to, to do something. And when you find that as a child, it's very, very life-changing. And that was a life-changing moment for me for that. Um, I guess the next thing I was, I was wondering why you're saying this. Did you, so did you continue it? Did you do it in like uh, school or was it more so of like a hobby thing you did when you were just home or was there any, or was it both, I guess? So I had a neighbor, his name was John. He played guitar and we were best friends. And I, and I told him, I was like, Hey dude, I got a drum set. Dude, when you have a drum set, you instantly become the, the guy that's going to go in every single band ever with your friends because nobody has a drum set. Nobody's parents are crazy enough to buy their kids a drum set. So if you have one, you're like the, you just like win the fucking lottery. Like you can go in any band you want. And so that's what happened. My friend, John, 
had a guitar and I'm like, yeah, I got a drum set. So he's like, all right, cool. And so he came over and we just started playing. I don't know what we we're doing. We're just jamming, right? Well, that lasted maybe a couple of months uh, because even though he was my best friend, we didn't vibe musically. We just could not get a vibe. I didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what I was doing. Everything I was playing was different than what he was playing. I don't even like, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know. I can play this. Boom. Chuck. Boom. I can play that. That's it. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? Um, and so that didn't last very long. It was actually only a few months after that. I'm in high school and I'm hanging out with some of my friends, a guy by the name of Mike and a guy by the name of Darren, who uh, they're friends of mine. And they're like, yeah, like we, we play. Oh, you play drums? Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I got a, I got a drum set, you know? And it was really, really cool. And they said, well, let's jam sometime. Let's just hang out and jam. And so I was like, okay, cool. Just another another group of friends to jam with. I would do this quite often, mostly to sh nothing really coming of it. Because uh, it's just, you know, when you're young, you're trying to, you know, feel the waters. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. This isn't working. But anyway, um, got together with these guys. And we started to play together and just clicked. We just clicked. And, and you'll hear that term used a lot in music. And that it's, it's really truthful. Sometimes with some musicians, it just clicks. It just works. You're like, oh, whoa, okay. And it's a complete feeling that happens. It's a complete aura change. And the, the, the pressure in the room changes. The tone changes. The lighting dims. Just no, there's no lights, but they somehow dim. It's just like this crazy phenomenon that happens. It's amazing. And that's why when it's when you find musicians that you can do that with, it's so special. Oh my gosh, please try to hang on to them. Try to continue to do what you're doing. Um, so I was playing just with this band and we named ourselves Elite. I know, really stupid name, but that's what we called ourselves. We were, we were 15 years old, relax. Um, we called ourselves Elite and we were playing. It was just a three piece. It was just a guitar, bass and drums. <laughs> And then later, another guy by the name of Austin joined as a, as a second guitar player, rhythm guitar. So we had a four piece. It was great. But uh, yeah, Mike was raised from his parents uh, who listened to a lot of Pink Floyd. They were like, uh, you know, uh, huge hippies, you know, uh, flower children. And they listened to a lot of that stuff. So the influence on Mike was really cool because he was playing Grateful Dead. He was playing Pink Floyd. He was playing Led Zeppelin. He was playing all these cover songs that I'd never heard before. Remember... In my house, Big Nell, he wouldn't play that stuff. He would play the synth wave and the pop rock stuff. We would listen to Phil Collins. We listened to uh, Aha. We listened to 80s New Wave. We, had, we listened to Madonna. You know, we listened to Talking Heads. We listened to all that stuff. We listened to Rolling Stones. You know, we'd listen to all that stuff growing up. So it was this kind of like blend. A blend of of really cool genres. And he was like, "We're gonna cover. We're gonna cover a song uh, called Another Brick in the Wall." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Awesome. I never heard another brick in the wall, right? Right. So we're covering, we're like, we're doing cover songs, like Pink Floyd songs, and we're doing Led Zeppelin, and we're doing all these, like, we're doing, we did fucking Stairway to Heaven for fuck's sake. We're playing all these songs. It's like 20 minutes long. I'm like, what is this? Right. But I was learning cover songs at that time.
yeah, so it was really just a hobby and getting back to, I'm trying to tie it back into your, your question with some stories there. It was a hobby. Yeah, absolutely. But it was something I loved. I was so passionate about and I was so into. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like, look, he's playing. Like they, my mom thought it was the most amazing thing. Cause she's like, yes, I got him a drum set and he actually could play it and do something with it. It's really cool. CJ didn't do shit with his guitar. With his guitar, it sat there, collect dust. In fact, I think they gave it away to another friend or something later on. The amp was a little cheap ten watt crate amp that ended up breaking. And Kyle actually didn't do shit with the uh, the keyboard that much. We played on it sometimes. I actually ended up grabbing it and using it in the studio later on in life. That's a whole other story when I was starting to create my own music. So yeah, it was a hobby. It was fun. I was playing in a band. Yeah, we, we did all kinds of really great stuff. We actually ended up recording a, a CD in 1998 um, called Between Dream and Reality, of course. It's very much psychedelic sounding. That's Mike. Uh, it was a little four-song EP, basically. Uh, and it's, it's on my, I have it on my website. I actually, last year, found all of my master tapes. And I imported them all. And I imported the, uh, the master tape. And I put it up. It's the, if you go to my website and scroll down, you'll see it's the very first release that I've ever, really the first bit of music I've ever recorded. I was 16 years old. Yeah, 16 years old. And um, it's a little four-song uh, EP called Elite. And you should, I don't know, you should check it out. It's 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 rough, but it's, it's definitely me in 1998. And I'd only been drumming for like two years, right? So... It was, it's really cool. It's really cool to hear um, just that raw ability and me playing every day to work on my skill to then go into some dude's grimy ass basement and record on a reel to reel tape machine four songs that we've been working on. Really, really cool. It was really cool. Like, we were like the high school band. Like, we played um, events. Like, they even had us. Here's how this went. It was really cool. We actually played uh, spirit assemblies. Like, you know, in high school, you used to have like spirit assemblies or like assemblies in the gymnasium where like they would do the student council shit or they'd do an event or something like they had us as a band play music in between things like just us, us three piece. Like it was crazy. And the people loved it. It was it was so cool. Like we were like the high school band. We were like the sound of Clackamas High School, you know. It was really cool, man. And it sounds it sounds ridiculous as an adult, like looking back on it, talking about it. But you kind of have to put it into perspective. And me being someone who's only really been playing drums for a couple of years to now I'm playing a fucking gymnasium with the entire school in here. And then we're going to play Battle of the Bands next month and we're doing all the stuff and Dude, it was it was an, an incredible time. Like I got the bug really, really early on.
and we had some great successes early on. And although we weren't the most most polished band and we weren't, I wouldn't say that we were amazing, but we we were good enough to do certain things and get invited to certain things. Like when I was in the summertime of that same year, I auditioned at this club called Key Largo. And it was this club where they were auditioning bands to play at the Portland Rose Festival. Just think of, think of if it was a, a festival in the, the main town or the main city, uh, wherever you are. It's like, this is the, every year they do the Rose Festival. It's in the summertime. It's beautiful. They have rides. It's, they have food. So many people show up. It's just packed. It's amazing. And they had the stage where we could play. And so we auditioned and we went to this club and we got in there and we played and I was like, wow, okay, well, even if we don't make it, like, it's really cool for us to, to, uh, to be a part of it, you know, to be here. Gradually deprives your mouth. But then you think you're just a little thirsty. But that's when I wrestle your throat to the ground with the strength of a large peasant wall and your tongue is stripped and sold for parts. Complete. So we, we played the Rose Festival. It was really cool. We had a lot of really highs. Um, and we broke up shortly after that. And then things changed completely for me because I joined another band named Rex Soul. And then my whole world, my whole world shifted then too as well. Awesome, isn't he? Oh, at Honey House Entertainment. You can follow him on YouTube too. At the end of the year, end of the school year, there was a battle of the bands of that same year. That was a big year. 98 was a big year because I'm in this band. We're doing things. We're, we're going to go, you know, we're going to play this Rose Festival. We're, we're like, we're playing these assemblies. People know us. It was crazy stuff. We enroll in battle of the bands at our school and we knew we were going to have an issue because we were all freshmen. 
and and we looked at the roster and we were playing up we were playing up against maybe like 10 other bands and they all were bands that were older than us and in high school that's a big deal right no freshman shitty ass band is going to win against seniors no seniors are the best right seniors are going to win we're going to get all our senior friends to come vote for us well lo and behold what happens elite took the stage and say what you want we may have done had it had helped us yes it absolutely helped us the biggest song of that year was faith by Limp Biscuit. Remember they covered that song? You you probably don't remember because you're like, I don't listen to that. <laughs> Limp Biscuit covered George Michael's Faith that year. It was a huge fucking hit. Huge song that year. The whole build up to it is like, you know, well, I wish it would be nice. Like they, they built the whole thing up and then it's like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have faith. And then it went to this fucking huge rock thing. And then at the end he's all, get the fuck up. And then it went crazy, right? The song was nuts. People loved it. We were like, we're covering that. So say what you want. You want to win a battle of bands, come in there with a few originals and then cover whatever the biggest fucking hit is of, of the year. That's what we did. We covered Faith by Limp Biscuit, and we played it actually really, really well. Mike like told people like they all were up out of their seats and run, they were rushing the stage. I, I'm not making this shit up. I have it on camera. I should put the video footage of this too. I have it. My, my parents, my dad took a day off of work to come and film it. How amazing is that, right? So he came, filmed it. Thank God he did because oh, we have the footage of it. But people rushed the stage. Everyone was dancing. It was an amazing time. It was crazy. And that was the moment where I was like, I cannot believe what's happening. I felt like I was a rock star. It was, it was one of the, the first times in my life I felt like I was a genuine rock star. With look, I'm out on this, this drum riser, and I'm playing my shitty-ass drum kit with the heads that were all fucked up. The cymbals were all bent because I hadn't upgraded them yet. These are just the ones that came with the set. And like all my friends were dancing around, and we were playing, and I was like, I can't believe this. It was amazing. Right here.
First place goes to Elise. And we ended up winning that battle of the bands. And for some freshmen in high school, that was big money. And that's when we put that money all the way to our, our record that we were going to go in and make. That was a life-changing moment uh, for music. So, yeah, it's really cool stuff, man, to look back on. I think you should. Uh, if you can definitely find like pictures and stuff of that. I think that'd be really cool to, to put over that. Because I know for me personally, I'd like to see that. So, My dad, that's one thing, too, is my dad always recorded he always had a camera on him, video camera. And my entire life, all this stuff I d I'm talking about discussing is captured on Digital 8 and High 8 tapes. What's the date? February 15th, 2000. Tell me about your set. Well, first of all, we've never had so much crap up here at the same time. We have five symbols. Again, I'm so thankful he did that. And when we were younger, we're kind of like, dude, get, dad, get the fucking camera out of my face. Like, stop, you're embarrassing me. Like, but he kept filming. And we look back on this stuff now and I'm like, wow. And really for like the last 10 years on and off, I've been going back and archiving this stuff to try to uh, get it off the tapes because the tape will deteriorate. So I'm yeah. trying to get it in digital domain. And I've done very good. I've maybe done about 20 videos uh, fully. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, I mean, these tapes are two hours long. So we have a lot of family trips and lots of performances, Battle of the Bands, Rexall performances. There's a lot of great stuff. Car shows. I have so many. I have footage of car shows. I have me, a photo. I have video of me drag racing in my, my Accord, my Honda Accord um, at the drag strip. I have all kinds of stuff when I was doing car shows, showing off my Integra. I have all kinds of really cool footage that maybe someday we'll... We'll see the the light of day, but so I continued it, Brandon. Yes, <laughs> I continued my drumming. <laughs> I guess you just said for that instance that was in uh, uh, your freshman year of high school. How did the rest of your high school experience go outside of music? 
did you enjoy it? Did you not really care for it? Was I, I was a, I was a pretty, I was a pretty big failure in high school. No doubt about it. Uh, my freshman year, that same year, although I was doing things musically and loving my life because of it, I was flunking high school drastically. I could not focus and I could not comprehend and or understand what was being taught to me. And it was a really big problem. I remember I failed math. I failed biology. I failed English. And I failed science. All four of those failed my freshman year. It was bad. And so bad, I had to take summer school that year. I don't know if any of you have ever been to summer school, but I'm going to try to break down briefly what summer school is. <clears throat> it's going to school in the summer. And it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. While trying to enjoy summer, like I always have done, I'm going to school still. I was like, okay, no way. I'm not doing this again. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Cannot do that. Yeah, I actually went to, in, in high school we have, I don't know if they still have it. They might still have it. I hope they still have it. But they, you, you all have like a counselor. It's like, you know, a, there's like four or five different people at the school that take a group of kids and like they could be like the school counselor or whatever we can talk to them about stuff. I went to my counselor and I remember I said, all right, hey, I'm failing miserably and I'm having issues here. And can we figure something out to where I can get help with this? And can I figure out a way to like, how do I understand this better? And they're like, okay, well, let's look at that. And they actually helped me. They helped me. They broke down they allowed me to kind of take it at a slower pace a little bit. They just said, well, you're gonna have to make up the credit sometime at, and at some point, but we can kind of do like a sort of like a modified uh, school, like lesson plan for you, which really helped me. So once that happened, I was starting to, I had like a person that would sit with me and help, help me and like, you know, talk about things. And I did after school tutoring, you know, I did that, you know, that was all part of it. Okay, cool. And then once I kind of grasped that, and understood things more. They're like, you know, read this book. You do a book report. Okay, you know, we're going to learn about, you know, we're going to learn about uh, chemicals, you know, if CO2 and then this, if you mix that and, you know, put this in the beaker and it boils over. If you add heat to it, it does this. Look, oh, you created steam. Oh, holy shit. Okay, like started to make sense. Once that happened, then I was like, okay, I got this. Let's get off this modified plan, put me back on the normal plan and I'm going to go for it. And And that's what I did. And I ended up, um, doing uh, well after that. But boy, my freshman year was rough. Um, yeah, I failed a lot of classes and I paid dearly for that, having to take summer school and after school tutoring. And I did that, I did that two summers. Yeah, I did that two summers. It was, it was quite shitty. I don't, I don't recommend anyone ever do that. Just really try your best to, <laughs> try your best to invest yourself. And it was really, it was really me just not, not investing myself. I was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like it's my fault. I definitely, should have pushed myself to to do better. Um, but once it starts to snowball, you know, you fail one class, fuck, okay. Uh, I'm getting a C in this class. I'm trying, I'm getting a D. Oh my God, okay, now I just got an F. I failed this test. Okay, well, whatever. It starts to snowball. And for me, it was like, there was no getting out of it. I was like, I'm failing all these. I don't know what to do. You know, it was, it was rough. 
do you think there was like a a partial awareness of yourself that you knew you didn't want to go on and do like you know standardized college and you know anything like that were you at that age did you know you wanted to go specifically into music yep 100 percent. and i think that was a big reason why i i was investing so much energy and time into what i was really good at and what i loved and what made me happy and what i was passionate about i wouldn't say that like it hurt other things because of it but me not investing the proper energy and effort and attention into my schooling at that time because I was wanting to do so many other things musically and creatively, that's what hurt it for sure. And I, and I knew, I knew it was happening. I knew I wasn't investing my, the, the right energy into it. I knew it, but I knew I wanted to do music so bad. I was like, Oh my gosh, guys, this is, this makes me the most happy. This, this makes me happy. People like it. People dance when I drum. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like the little things like that, it, I was so happy to be changing the room. I was so happy to be able to play music and the room light up. That right there was like a phenomenon that I'd never seen before. And from, from me personally, like I created that. So when that happened, everything, my life shifted and I just had to I wanted to continue to do that at all costs. And that in, and involved me uh, flunking out um, a lot of classes. But also, I, I'll be honest, man, I'm not really like the smartest guy in the world. You know, like I, I think I've, I've come into my own as an adult, of course. But like when I was younger, I really wasn't that smart of a kid. Like I, I was not great at math. All right. I, I became great at math because music is math. And I was like, oh, well, shit, if I need to learn math for music, then I'll do it, which 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 I did, you know. But at the early stage, like if we what's pi a four point one three. OK, great. Who gives a shit what pie is? It's apple or a cobbler. Like, what are we talking about here? You know, like, I don't care what these equations are. I don't care what these fractions are. Like, I remember sitting with my dad and my dad's very good at math. My dad's very, very good at math. He's very analytical. So he's very much into that. And he enjoys math, in fact. Enjoys it. N not much of a teacher. <laughs> no disrespect to you, Big Nell, but not much of a teacher when it comes to math. We had very, a lot of arguments when it comes to that. <laughs> it's tough, man. And I think parents today with, like, COVID and quarantine, like, they understand, like, it's tough to teach your kids, right? <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, but we had a lot of arguments about math because he's so good at it. He's like, I don't, he can't, he can't understand why I don't comprehend it. He's like, I just don't get it. <laughs> I did not get it. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but I guess. Um, and then the next thing I kind of wanted to ask about. So you, you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, how you got into uh, into Rex Soul. What was that while you were still in high school a little bit, or is that fully after you graduated? It happened the month after I graduated high school. Okay. Yeah, it was and like it was like it was like July. It was like July of. Okay. Of that year, 2000. I feel like I should know this, but was any of the people that you played with in uh, that high school band, did they play in Rexel as well, or was it a completely different group of people? Yeah, no, it was a completely different group of people. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting story in itself. I, We actually, my band Elite opened up for Rexel. <laughs> Kyle. Excuse me, tickets coming through. Nice. 
we were at this club called the Paris Theater. It actually ended up becoming a strip club, and then it became like a porn shop at one point, and then I don't know some divey, shitty place. But yeah, we were there, and we were opening up for um, Rexall. And this was one of the first shows where I was really excited because it was sold through Ticketmaster. It's one of the first shows that we were actually had real tickets that you could either buy online or through us directly with a real ticket stub. I have the ticket stub still, and we have posters. It was really cool. Man, dude, think about this. High school kid just graduated high school. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a bill on a fucking marquee with um, with a real Ticketmaster stub. You know, people are paying money for it. It was cool, man. Really cool. And uh, we opened up for Rexol, and we played first. And we had this really weird kind of shtick that we would do: is we would all we would all wear kind of like sparkly shirts. Come on, it was the two, it was the late nineties, it was the early two thousands. Give us a break. We had these like sparkly shirts, and mine always matched my drum set, so I had this like blue kind of sparkly shirt that I'd wear. What was really funny is what what was the shtick of Rexol? Well, they all wore sparkly shirts too. What in the fuck, man? Anyway, we play, we open for the band. I'll do a long story short. Here's how it happened. The end of the gig, when we got done, everyone moved all their shit off the stage. We went out the side door and we put all of it on the sidewalk. Everyone's out there. Now, typically what happens is we all get our cars, come over, load the stuff up and move it out because you don't want to leave your expensive gear on the side of the street. Stuff gets stolen. It's in, it's downtown Portland. It's two in the morning. There's weird shit going on. We want to get the fuck out of there. So, what happens is Big Nell brings his Ford Ranger around. The Danger Ranger rolls up, pulls up. I'm loading up the drums. Everyone's loading up the drums. We're putting that stuff in there. And uh, we're like, okay, where's where's Mike? Where's Darren? We don't know where they are. They just fucking take off. Why did they just leave all their shit here? And they left, and we were forced to like load up all their amps and their gears and shit and, and take it home. And it was kind of like the last draw for me. I was really upset. I'm like, you're going to force me and like my... my my dad and my friends to load up all your shit and move it. Like you got to help like this. If you want to be in a band, it's a unit. You know what I mean? So we loaded it all up and dad went and, and parked, uh, or no, he went home. He took it all home. And I stayed because I wanted to see this Rex soul band. I was the only one who stayed all the, all the other people, my whole bandmates, they all left. I walk back in and I'm, and they start playing and I'm watching this band called Rex soul play and I'm digging it. I'm loving it. I'm like, man, these guys sound really, really good. It's fantastic. At the end of the show, uh, their bass player, his name's Jared, he came up to me and he goes, hey, man, thanks for sticking around. And he goes, here's my card. I'm going to call you in the morning. Tonight is our drummer's last night. He's moving. He's leaving. We'd love for you to audition for us. Right there on the spot, just at the club, gave me his card. I didn't advertise, like, I'm looking for a new band. I didn't say any of that shit. But he gave me his card. I looked at it. And I, and I look up at him and I just go, you know what? I go, you know what, Jared? My band just left all their shit on the curb outside and forced me and my family and my friends to load it up. They left. They're not even here supporting the other bands. I said, I'm, I'm ready to audition for you guys. I would love to. And it just was like, boom, a click moment. And uh, the next week I went out and drove uh, to Washington to Battleground. is the city that they were in. And I auditioned for them. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was like love at first sight type thing. It was another click moment for me. I auditioned. They were like, holy shit, yes, you're in the band if you want it. And I said, I will accept. I drove home. 
I grabbed all their shit. I grabbed their guitars and their amps and the, the his bass and his bass cab and all their pedals and shit. I took it out to the sidewalk in front of the house. I dumped it there and I called them. I said, all your shit is on the curb. Come and pick it up. And they're like, what the fuck you mean? I said, yeah. I said, you know, it's all there. You guys, you know, you're, you're disrespectful. You're, I'm not, I'm not doing this. We're not doing this anymore. This is the last time. And they were like, well, fuck you and all this stuff. And they showed up with their, with their parents and their cars and they, they loaded it up and they took it off and, and they bailed. And that was it. I joined Rex Soul that right then and there, boy, like the next week, boom. And that's when everything changed. Actually, a year, well, no, like six months later, he, Mike sent me a letter in the mail. Like he mailed me a letter, an apology letter. And it, I still have it. I still, I have it here. He was like, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, we were, he was like, I was really high. I was doing drugs and I was trying to like, you know, I was doing other things. My mind wasn't right. And, and, and I said, you know what? I accept your apology. I accept your apology, but I'm not getting back in a band with you. You know, there's no way. But he sent this letter of like, you know, and I give him credit for that. At the time, I was like, fuck you. But I actually, you know, later on in life, you look at that and you're like, you know what? He tried. He really tried. He tried to make it right. He, he, he came out and showed that he had made a mistake. He took responsibility. And I'm big on taking responsibility. So that showed a lot to me. And I thought that was really cool. But yeah, no, it fell apart after that, though. We never got back together. And I continued with Rexel. That'll move, though. When you do it, the yeah, free sandwiches. Rick Soul still hasn't played. Free sandwiches are throwing them out. The girls throwing them out. There they go. Straight out of Portland is Rick Soul. Time frame there, because um, did you plan on going to college? I know you ended up going uh, down in Arizona to the recording college there. But mm-hmm. at that time, did you have any sort of notion that you wanted to do that, or what was the time frame there between uh, high school ending and then 
how long and what happened between uh, that time before you moved. I had no interest to go to college whatsoever. No interest. I wanted to continue to pursue music. And you have to understand something too. Through growing up, I, I feel like I've had a lot of people show resentment towards me. Ah, oh, man, this is, tough. this is tough to actually put into words here and say. My life is very different. And I feel like my life is a, a very different. It's not something that I, I should apologize for. It's not something that I should look at as a negative thing. So all my friends, and I say all my friends because I knew nobody else in, who, had this, who had this situation. Even in high school, they were like, what, do you, what college are you going to go to? Even our counselors, even our, our teachers, what college are you going to go to? What, what do you want to do with your life? What are you interested in doing? What are some of your interests? Do you like math? Do you like biology? Do you like science? I just scoffed. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I failed those. Do you think I want to go invest my life doing that? Fuck no. And I'd be, I'd be real nice. I'd be like, ah, no, I don't. I don't really think so. No, no. And they're like, well, I remember sitting with my counselor. Well, what do you want to do? Like, well, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll, uh, I don't know. And they're like, well, you have to try to find something that you're interested in. You have to understand too, 40, 50 years ago, that thinking works. All right. Now we're going to talk about college. Now we're going to talk about it. That thinking I, I, I feel worked 50 years ago. What did your grandparents do? What did your great-grandparents do? The thinking is this. You're born, you're raised, you follow in your parents' footsteps, you do what they feel is best, and you go with a college that you should go to because that's either what your parents say or, or what society thinks you should do because that's where the paying jobs are, and then you'll get out of college, and then you get a job, and then you work for 30 years, and then you retire, you get a pension that's been slashed in half because their government took all the money, and then you, uh, then you die. That's the life cycle, right? That's 50, 60 years ago. That's the thinking. And that all made sense back then. That made sense. That's what my parents did. That's what a lot of parents did. That's what all my friends' parents did. Or a majority of them anyway, you know? And there are other situations that may play a role in this too. Maybe a little bit different than that, you know, than that wording. But typically that's what happens. Well, not saying that it's... No, no, I am saying that. I am saying that that is not... That is not 100% the right way today. I mean, we have so many things that were available to us today that weren't available then. I honestly feel that today, your best bet in creating some sort of happy life for yourself is to break out of the shell, break out of the normal, be somebody unique and special in your own terms, find a skill, find... Um, some sort of ability within you, find something you're passionate about, find um, something you're talented at. And when I say talented, I mean something that you enjoy that you then practice over and over and over to become good at and or master. Apply said ability to your life and in creative ways to then create a job and or a life for yourself and your family. Now, that doesn't always work out. In fact, I think it's very, very slim a lot of people are able to do that because it's difficult to do something when you don't have money to begin with. And I get that. I get that. You have to eat shit for a while or work at a shitty job to try to pay rent. But it's this inevitable circle of, well, I get paid shit. All my money goes to rent and bills and there's not enough money left over for me to invest into 
my craft or what I really want to do. And I'm basically stuck here swirling for the next 50 years until I die. That's just reality. And I get that. And that happens every day. But if we can somehow figure out a way to break from that, if we can figure, figure out some way to, to invest in what we really want to do and what we really can do, somehow we have to be able to do that because you have to break the cycle, have to break that cycle. So I'm thinking about all this stuff with my counselor. It's tough, but here's, here comes the resentment. Here comes the issues that I faced. Why do I have to apologize for my family backing me? Well, I had to go to, well, good for you. I had to go to college. Yeah, I had to go. Okay. You know, I, I'm sorry. This is another, this is another tough conversation to have. This is another tough thing to have. It's another <laughs> very difficult issue to, to overcome. I'm thankful that my family backed me a hundred percent. My mom and my dad said, they came to me and they go, look, in very much the same fashion as when we talked about religion and we talked about um, politics very much. They go, look, you should invest into what you want to do. And on your own terms, try to figure that out. If you feel going to college is what you want to do to better yourself, then do it. Don't go and waste a bunch of money. Don't go and do that. Why don't you figure out what you really want to do first and then do it? That's what they said. So what did I do? I said, I want to fucking do music somehow. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know any of the details with this, but I want, I want to be creative and I want to do it. I want to, when what I wasn't really realizing at that time was I was creating entertainment. I was an entertainer, was, was entertaining people. And that's what I really loved. I love being creative, sharing that, inspiring, entertaining, creating joy, creating that, that wow factor that like, wow, people dancing, people laughing, people smiling, people saying, I love this song. People saying, oh, this is great. This is so funny. People laughing in any form. That's what I want to do. I didn't know it was entertainment at the time. I didn't call it that. I said music. That's what they said. And that's what I did. So I invested myself fully. When all my friends were turning 18 and moving out of the house to get away from their parents because they fucking hated their parents, my parents were like, look, stay here. All right. We won't charge you any rent. Get some life experience. Do this, do that. Figure it out. Save your money. Start to invest yourself and, you know, work it out. Again, I, I owe my family. This is why I'm so close to my parents. I owe them my life. I owe them everything. And nobody else I know has had similar experiences. And, and I don't talk. So why I never talk about this, this is why I, ha I haven't talked about this in the past. Because for some reason, that's looked at as like, well, you know, he's a spoiled little shit. Like, no, no, I'm not apologizing for that. My parents worked their asses off. My dad worked at a phone company 30 fucking years, miserable to provide for his family. He'll say it himself. You know, and maybe, maybe you will hear from him because we don't know what the future is. They're looking at possibly moving, maybe even back down in the Southwest. We don't know what's going to happen just yet, but they may come back down here and maybe we'll talk about it. It'd be great to talk with my family. You know, he says, Hey man, look, my dad says, I never really fully invested in myself. I remember he said that to me personally, Jason, you go out and you do what you need to do. You're smart, you're talented. You can do this. You can do whatever you want. Me? I provided for the family. I worked there because it was just there. It was convenient. But I never fully invested in myself. He told me that. I never fully did it. I wish I could have. But I'm too old now to do it. I won't, He says, I'll never, I never regret anything. I never regret a single moment of it. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing when, when, when your parents put you know, their children above them, put their family above them. It's, it's really, it's amazing. It's, I don't know what else to say about it. 
And I don't have the right wording to express my, my sincere love and appreciation for, for that. It has built me and created who I am today. And the reason why I still, I still fight, I still drive myself as hard as I can, sometimes into the fucking ground. This is, this is important. We're going to just, we're going to push through and, and we're going to actually do something like we're all going to do something. And I feel that about everyone. I feel like, man, I just, I feel, I feel the passion, man. I feel it. And I think hearing it sometimes from anyone can maybe make that spark or make that change. And so I know we're talking about college, but yeah, um, I don't agree with, with that thinking today. I don't think, first of all, let me just summarize that for you. Guaranteed that an employer today would rather hire somebody who has a great personality, a great attitude, teachability, and the ability for them to show up on time over the fact that you just spent 10 years getting your master's degree and whatever the fuck it is. Unless you are needing to be like a doctor or something, all right, where you're required to have that. I get that. But your best bet, folks, today, in today's technological world, your best bet today is to find a fucking skill set, some technical skill set, some passion, some drive, some artistic something or other, or something that you can tangibly do, put yourself online, just do something that's out of the norm and break that mold. Because I think there's more success to be had there today than going and wasting 50, 60, $100,000 in college to where you're never going to be able to pay it back because the whole fucking system is broken. Don't even get me started on the whole fucking school loans and insurance scams and all this bullshit. There's all all kinds of issues with that. I think I've always had the kind of same mentality on it because I feel like success is such a unique experience to each person. Right, and how is like, it measured, right? How you do can, you measure that? You know, some people measure it with, you know, money, you know, a house, car, but then other people... Like it sounds like, and for instance, with your your parents there, it sounded like their success to them personally was, you know, more so taking care of their family. And yeah, hundred percent. Yep. That was that was far more important to them than you know, being their own person, doing their own thing, because they just felt that was more important. So I, I can see my parents just, both shaking their heads right now. That is absolutely correct. I wanted to say I don't think you should necessarily ever feel like you have to apologize to anyone for that because they haven't gone through that understanding that success and you know all that is it's something individual it's not everyone in the world can't do the same thing because then the world wouldn't work correctly so i mean someone can be happy and successful working at mcdonald's per se as long as they're happy and successful to them then that's that's their life. That's their choice. Right. If they're happy, they should be able to do that. Makes complete sense. Yeah, absolutely agree. It is very strange. In, in high school, they're kind of molding kids nowadays to, I wouldn't say like force them, but it, it, it leans towards that way when you feel like you're very pressured into, if you don't get into college, then your life is kind of doomed. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly and, how it was presented to us back then too, for sure. And I mean, I, I probably wouldn't say waste, but you do spend a lot of time in that very moldable 14 to 
17 years old thinking and having this immense pressure on yourself that if you don't do something momentous in like three months after being out of high school, then you should like give up. Yeah. And so true. I've always felt like that's a very harsh and very unneeded narrative inside school that I wish they would tweak. And in school back back in those days, right? And back when I was in high school, like they were ran by people that are from that era of right. that thinking, right? It's only as good as the people teaching it, straight up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that shit is real. Even for me being, you know, very quiet, reserved, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school, uh, but I did fairly well because, I, I, I mean, I didn't have anything to distract me, so I would usually do pretty well in school but then it also felt like there was a very huge separation between you know there was the people that would really work hard and would actually you know insert themselves and then there was that group and then because i'm trying to get into three groups here there Mm -hmm. was that group who was very well at school but they just did their work you know went through it and then there was the group of you know this is all speaking from personal preference i personal experience, I guess. But we also had like a a third group where you had, you know, the popular kids, the people from the community that, you know, say their parents were really involved in the community and they were popular amongst the town. And so teachers, I don't know if they felt they were almost forced. Oh yeah. You bet your ass they were. Yeah. Yeah. Almost forced to treat them. They didn't deserve, you know, some of the grades they got, but they felt like maybe I might get some backlash if, Oh, you know, yeah. I, I start failing the students, one of the whatever. And then, and that really upset me. But then there was also the teachers were too worried about that group of people, that the people like yourself who genuinely, you know, just struggle at school because, you know, it's not something that interests them. It's not, I don't think all kids should be, you know, put in that environment because it just doesn't work for them either, you know, learning any sort of thing like that. But then they get ignored because the other people are priority, I guess. So they have all this, you have the struggle of these people who are willing to learn and want to learn, but they just aren't given the resources. And that's, that was always frustrating. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Going back to politics, right? Here we are in the politics world again, where it's like, yeah, they're like, well, well, because uh, mom and dad are uh, governor of the city, um, we have, can't really flunk them. Yeah. Can't, that can't be a uh, front page of the uh, My Small City Times magazine. You know, I get it. And, and that's a reality. That, that makes total sense to me that that would be an issue. And I, I can see it happening for sure. You know, the, also the thing too is I think a lot of, kids early on as well who have kind of overbearing parents or, you know, the aggressive college thinking parents who would, the kids are like, look, I also don't want to disappoint my family. Right. I also don't want to disappoint my parents. I don't want to be a failure in their eyes. There's that happening as well. So again, that also rolls back into, I mean, I think that's also, that's also a pretty big issue too. Right. I mean, yeah, and parents I, thinking their kids are failures because they don't go to college and they don't do what they say. I mean, yeah. like, we have a we have a fucking disconnect here, folks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't understand that concept of thinking because I guess for me personally, it's weird to 
decide to have a child, but then decide that their life is not their own to choose. Thank it's, you. It's, it's strange to me. Gosh, thank you. <laughs> it does seem so more so now in this generation where people are being more accepting to uh, understanding that college doesn't work for a lot of people. And also, I think people are kind of coming to the terms that uh, maybe it be the job market or the accessibility of college that co- college degrees really don't help you too much anymore after you find you spend all that money you work really hard and then you still don't get a job right so. i mean very rarely unless it's something very specific like doctor yeah or whatever it is but yeah you're right they just don't and like i said man if you have a great attitude personality you can show up to your work on time and you have some sort of skill set that can benefit that company guaranteed they're going to hire you over some fucking book nerd guaranteed that's just the way it works companies don't give a fuck yeah. They don't I, give a shit. I would definitely rather have someone working around me or for me that was even more, you know, common sense smart, street smart. Totally. They understand the world rather than, yeah, I mean, their whole life's just been school. I mean, they don't have that. Like you said, your parents wanted you to get real world, you know, knowledge and experience. I think that's more valuable personally, but. It's just another another thing that, you know, I'm thankful for. So I guess uh, after all that happened, when was the final choice then? How did you first of all find that college and then ultimately, you know, decide that that's what you wanted to do and and then finally move down? I mean, I know, I guess you did go to Colorado Springs before that. No, after that, actually. Oh, okay. 2009, yeah. Then 2007 is when I... At the end of 2007 is when I moved. I started doing some research about schools for music. And there's a lot of schools for music about like music performance and things like that. But I was now, okay, this is quite a bit later. So there had been about six years between this, this moment and playing in Rexol. I've been producing my own music and recording. I found a knack for recording and engineering and mixing. And I was DJing. I got into DJing. I bought a turntable. I was doing parties. There's a whole world of music. I was DJing Portland, downtown Portland. I was doing clubs. I would I would DJ from uh, Saturday nights. I would do this Bar 71, it was called. It was like a 21 and over. And then on, the, on Saturday night or the other day, I would do the um, 18 and over club. We would do that. We'd play all the, the, the pop songs and shit. And I would bounce around a club. It was great. So I learned all this stuff. And so I was, I was finding this knack for audio and the technical side of it. And I, in 2004, I released a solo album, fully self-produced called Personal Invitation. I was rapping, I was singing, I was making my own music. I was just doing shit because it was fun and I liked it. I didn't really care what else. I was like, I actually like the technical side of all of this. This is actually great. Let me invest in technical side of this. Well, I learned that the term for that is audio engineering. Like, oh, okay, I guess what I'm doing is engineering audio. This is cool. I like that. Sounds cool. Um, I didn't know what it was before. I was like, well, what am I? Well, people are like, well, what do you do with music? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a drummer, DJ, I'm a recording artist. I do that. And I'm trying to like, you don't do all that, you know? <laughs> so finally, I'm like, look, I, I'm an audio engineer. That's what I do. And they're like, oh, then they ask questions. Then you can get, I found that works better in the conversation. Because every time I say what I do, people think I'm full of shit. Because it sounds like I'm just talking like, it, honestly, dude, what's it, it sucks. It sucks because I do so much with with my passions and, and what I like that it sounds fake. Like when I when I when I meet new people, they you know they want to like oh what do you do? And I'm like oh, 
And even me saying, no, just go to my website. They're like, oh, you have a website. What the fuck? What are you talking about? That's not out of the norm. Yeah, anyway, so I found out it's called audio engineering and I started to research. I found one in LA called the LA Recording School. I was going to go there and do a tour. It was really bougie and I didn't care for the attitude there at all. It was very much like, well, this is the this is the most elegant and elite school of them all. If you don't come here, you will never be an audio engineer. Period. We're in the middle of Hollywood. That was their whole thing. We're in the smacked up middle of Hollywood. And I'm like, cool, I'm not into it. Okay. So then I started to do some research and lo and behold, right here in Arizona, where my older brother, CJ, was living at the time. Uh, remember, he moved down here in 2001, so he was still here. There was a school called the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. And I did, went to the website, looked it up, looked pretty cool. And just the convenience factor of it being here in Arizona, I had a place to go to stay for free. So I go, hey, CJ, I'm going to come down for a week. Can I crash at your your pad on your couch because I'm going to go do a tour of this campus. He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I just booked a ticket. I packed up for a week and I came down here and um, I call up the, I call, well, I called the school first and I set up an appointment and uh, yeah, I did a tour of the campus. They showed me around. They were very courteous, very nice. And um, yeah, they broke it all down for me, told me how much it's going to cost this and that, how long the program is, showed me the studios, showed me some classes in action. I stood in the back of a classroom while they were teaching. I mean, like, it was very nice. It was, I felt very welcomed there. And so I was like instantly going, okay, it's what I want to do. And I did, now I knew this even prior going in. I didn't think that going to that school would then grant me this magical key that would unlock every door to every studio in the world. And I'd become this magical engineer producer guy. All right. I didn't think I'd become the engineer for Justin Timberlake or anything like that. I knew that. What I wanted was I wanted the icing on the cake. I had already been fucking with audio for seven years prior to this, right? I've been doing this, you know, uh, well, really eight years, right? If you count the early days. So I wanted that technical skill to be um, really brought together. Like when I twist a knob and the treble goes up, right? I don't want to be like, turn the treble up. I want to be like, 
hey, can you put a, a notch at 2000 kilohertz and bump it 4 dB and know exactly what that means? And I know exactly what that sounds like. And I know exactly what that's going to do to the mix. That's what I wanted to know. And I wanted to understand that technical side of it. And that's what I went in to get. And I got that and so much more. I learned so much about audio that I had no idea about. See, I had an ear for audio. I was mixing songs in my basement that I would, I would go, this is really funny, really funny story. I would, in my basement, make beats. And then I would go to Guitar Center, all right? And I would pop in my CDs in like their live uh, room and play some of my beats and play some of my DJ stuff. And I would like scratch and do things like just, I'm just quote demoing out the stuff. I was hoping somebody in there would hear it and come in and like question about it, maybe collaborate or work together. You know, I would just, I don't know. I was like, I'm gonna try to put myself out here in this environment. And I would do that. And dude, people would come in. People would come in. One time this employee came in that was there. It's like, whoa, 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 who is this? What beat is this? I'm like, it's mine. He didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. He's like, no, come on, it's not you. I go, yeah, this I've, I made this the last week. This is my beat. It's actually a beat I remember. It's called Games. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. And uh, I was scratching on it, doing all this cool stuff. And this dude was like, no, it's not you. I go, okay. I, I turn the volume down. I walk over to the CD player, pop it up, pull the CD out. And I go, here, look. He goes, oh, shit. It's like, yeah, man. That's He's like, whoa, whoa, really cool. So it was like kind of like... It was this moment where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm making some beats. I'm doing some things. I, am I, I, some of it's okay. Some of it's not, but some of it's pretty cool. And so anyway, I would do that. So the technical side of it was what I'm getting after. And uh, yeah, I said, I want to enroll in the school. And this was like, I want to say this was summertime. It was really hot. And then he goes, well, we don't have an opening until, um, what did he say? He told me like April of the following year. So I go, well, that's perfect. That's perfect because I need to move from Portland down here. P plenty of time, plenty of time, Brandon, plenty of time. So, uh, yeah, I said, great, sign me up. He goes, great, I'll give you a call whenever um, uh, whenever an opening, if, if an opening comes up earlier, I'll hook you up. If not, we'll see you uh, in May. I said, great, he gave me a start date and everything. So I, I was excited, bro. I got, in the, I got home. I was like, yes, I'd already quit my job at that time. You know, I quit that uh, uh, Zoom Zoom. I was selling car parts and shit, I quit that. But I went and I sold my Integra. I had a show car, boom, sold that. Um, I had a, uh, an old, uh, Pathfinder. I got rid of that. I traded that in for a different car. Uh, I started selling off all my old eBay stuff because I was doing eBay business on the side for a side hustle for many years. Sold off all that shit, condensed stuff. I was prepping, dude. I told all my friends to fuck right off and, uh, I was ready to bounce. And that's just what I did, man. I just packed up my shit. I, you know, I took, I took, uh, everything that I had that I wanted. I went out and bought all new DJ shit. I bought a new drum set. I wanted to be prepared for college. I said to myself, if I go down here, I'm going to be in this environment with other musicians. And if I am asked to drum on a track, I want to be able to say, I got you. 
and pull out my drum set from the fucking magical cloud and set it up and drum because, dude, when I got into school, people were like, all, all the musicians that were in there were like, yeah, I play, I play. And I'm like, great, everyone plays. But they had no instruments. They're like, oh, I had to move from, I had to move from uh, so-and-so state and I couldn't bring all my, my stuff with me. And I, and, I, and I feel bad for them, right? I get that. Not everyone can, can afford to bring all their shit with them. That allowed me to get that gig. I was the only drummer in there with a fucking drum set, dude. It was crazy. So every time there was a session or someone needed something, they're like, Jason drums, boom, I got the gig. And I was there drumming. So like I took full advantage of school when I was there. Same thing with DJing. They're like, oh, we need someone to come and do some cuts or some scratches. I DJ. I got a turntable. I'm ready to go. Really? Yeah. Just give me like, a, give me an hour. I fucking jet home three in the morning. Pew, go home, grab all my shit, pew, jet back, set it up. I'm ready to go. What do you need? And that's, that's the thing is taking the initiative and being prepared. I knew that. I wanted to be prepared. Now, that just, take, that just took some planning, all right? And I was lucky because I sold off a lot of my shit. I sold that car, which, you know, paid for a lot of my college to, to even attend there and also the new gear and stuff. We were rocking. And it really, it really brought everything together for me and gave me the icing on the cake. And getting back to my original statement is the icing on the cake that allowed me to understand what in the hell I was doing in that studio. I learned a lot about audio and it has helped me tremendously. And even to this day, I think back in those, those times, it was the most stressful thing I'd ever done in my life. It was very brutal. I started to gain weight. I was drinking coffee and energy drinks. Like all the time I couldn't, it was hard to stay awake. I started to lose my hair at that point. I was 27, 28. Um, it was very hard on me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would even go as far to say as that I may not have fully even recovered from that, 
<laughs> because it was so, it was, it was very stressful. It was basically, I got two hours of sleep for an entire year, but we, we did it and I'm so thankful for it. And then how long did you, did you spend there? Did it, how long did it take to, was there like a certificate or was it like a degree? What was the, yeah. the end goal? Yeah, there? it's a degree, degree in audio engineering. I don't know. There's like maybe four or five different certifications certified in, uh, Apple's logic. I'm certified in, uh, Waves Audio plugins. There's a bunch of other. I'm um, certified in Auto Tune. Took a class on that. It's basically a degree overall. Music business. There's music theory. There's a bunch of stuff, and then they give you little certifications. But yeah, no, it was a it was a 40 credit course. It was a year and two months long. It's short, so it is crammed packed. And then the campus is 24 hours, so you're encouraged to stick around and take advantage of it do gigs, get in there, work the console, work the machines. We learned analog and digital. So it was, it was insane, to be honest, very insane. And I, I graduated top remarks. I was part of the AES audio engineer society. I was a board member on that, which was really cool. We built hand-built gear. I hand-built speakers and little pieces of audio gear. And, uh, I graduated with a 3.99. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost 4.0. And I did really well and I invested in myself fully and I understood it and it was great. It was really, really great. I took a lot from it. Yeah. And I, I have that. I have it actually, this not up, but I have it all framed and I have a really cool frame for it. And it's something I'm really proud of. You know, it was an achievement, great achievement. And then the events, of course, following that you, you kind of spoke about in your, your other episode. I don't know if you want to really reiterate all of that because I think this is pretty much where you led up to in that episode kind of covered the next, you know, five, six years, right? Yeah, pretty much. Because, um, yeah, I moved up to Colorado in 2009 after I graduated and then uh, spent the year there. We're coming to you live from Colorado Springs. I'm going to give you guys a little tidbit on barbecuing. There's a lot of things you got to take in consideration when barbecuing. But most amateur grillers don't know. Step one to having a successful grill for your food to turn out fabulous is having one, a very hot grill. How hot? Yeah, I knew that was coming. Can't tell you. Well, because if I did, I'd have to kill you. But I'll give you a little tidbit. About as hot as charcoal gets. Think about that. about ready for the meat. And, you know, sometimes in when you're at a certain state of mind, you know, when you're dealing with, um, you know, depression and, you know, loneliness and anger and all these different emotions, sometimes things come up and are sparked because of that. Um, strength is found. And um, sometimes some of your ideas and or plans come together. And that's pretty much what happened for me as I had all the time in the world, as my world was falling apart around me while I was there. I was basically, it's crazy when you look back on it in that, that uh, 10 year uh, retrospective episode, we, we talk about everything that has happened in the last 10 years. Well, I planned a lot of that 
during that year in 2009 while I was there in a snowstorm and negative 20 degree weather, freezing my ass off. I guess I'll just summarize real quick. Is the, whole, the whole story of Colorado was I moved out there with some classmates who had uh, planned and were in the process of building a recording studio in Colorado. And they'd showed me blueprints. They'd showed me ideas. They'd been working on it. They'd show me all kinds of proof of concept stuff that was real. Um, and so he got us, me and a few other uh, classmates to all invest 100% and go out move to Colorado, pick up and move there for him to help him build this out. And we all were in, come to find out nothing of it was true. It was all fabricated. And uh, we were there with no job, you know, living off of our savings and um, nothing that he had said to be um, his word was truthful. And it was a really big blow for all of us. And then we, of course, disbanded. And I moved, I moved away after that in 2010 uh, back here to Arizona uh, but that that's the really short, short, short version. So I did live there uh, for a year in 2009. I do know that there's specific songs and topics on uh, Nothing's Forever that that goes into that. So when you came back from that, uh, re when you were in Colorado, were you writing some of Nothing's Forever or was that all like in a rush when you got back that it all kind of like came out and hit you? Yeah, I was writing. I wasn't writing any, any music. I was so. Uh, I wasn't writing any music while I was in Colorado. Nothing of Nothing's Forever was written in Colorado. It all came as a rush, like you said, after I had moved back and I was able to actually decompress my emotions and my data. Um, but also, I'd gone was going through like a crazy breakup at the time, and there was a lot of emotion there, and I had hit. Just really, really, really shitty, shitty, shitty breakup. And so I was like very inspired to to compose. And all these emotions that have been building up for the last few years really went into that. And then I think I released that album in 2012. And I think some of the best, really some of the best music uh, comes from those situations, you know, and feeling a certain way. Uh, I mean, for me, they have to. That's why it takes me so long to write music sometimes is that Music has to do something for me. I have to feel something. I have to feel a certain way with it. So um, when it does and it's right, I'll release it. I don't ever just like rush songs out. I guess I've always had a question about this too. So I do see that there's the the frustration there from the situation in Colorado. There's a lot of songs about the breakup there. Mm -hmm. But there's there's also at the kind of more so at the beginning of the the album there's a lot of uh more i would say happier songs mm -hmm. uh were you just going through like a cycle of all of those feelings or did oh, you yeah. Absolutely. was that more so written like at the end no i was definitely on a roller coaster ride for sure um you go through those emotions when you're trying to process them um and that absolutely was the case yeah uh, what, the song I think you were talking about earlier is called Called Out. It's on there. It's towards the end. Yeah, um, it's that one. That one was specifically and deliberately written about Colorado and all that shit there that happened. I mean, right. I, I, I usually don't even, I don't usually don't name names and whatnot. And, and I don't, I don't actually, I didn't actually call anyone specifically out. I, I mean, openly with names, but I'm definitely talking directly to all of them that were involved. 
Thank God most didn't, but three of us did. I broke my back, packing my shit up in the back of the truck, getting that shit as high as I could get it. 85 just to fill it, cruising I-25 with all these ideas in my mind to hopefully expand my life. And here I am, 6,000 feet high. Fly broke, and you wonder why I'm all mad at thee? Probably because you promised a salary. I should have known from the start when you couldn't execute tests, knowledge checks, and proficiencies. Write it on the whiteboard, try to make it clear to me. How does that degree on your wall in the frame look? Knowing that Jay did all your homework. Don't act like you got a plan when your little cranium. Yeah, but then the other songs at the beginning, um, well, that, and I just like to write, I, I try to write funky stuff, nice stuff that can like lift me and lift others too. And when I'm going through these emotions, I'm, I'm finding that I'm up and I'm down and I'm up. So one day I feel really good and I'm like, okay, I'm optimistic. I'm excited about life and okay, this is cool. And I, I can create a beat and I can feel like really good about it. And then I'm like, wow, okay, there, that was a, that was a moment in time today. Like I did that today. And yeah, some of that I included at the, at the beginning because I wanted it at the very beginning of the album. Um, I take a quote from the producer of the Brave Little Toaster. That's actually the producer and director of Brave Little Toaster, the voice line that I sampled. And what does he say? He says, joy always has some sadness behind it. It's like it's either sadness because the joy is not going to last forever because nothing ever does. has some sadness behind it. It's like, it's either the sadness that the joy is not going to last forever because nothing ever does. It's either the sadness that the joy is not going to last forever because nothing ever does. Everything you see, yeah. everything you feel, everything you And that hit me so hard. And I just realized that because I was going through so many things that I wanted to hang on to and be a part of and do. And I realized that like, dude, nothing seems to be working here. Like everything I'm doing, I'm investing, I'm going in, but it just falls apart right before my eyes. Whether that be my fault or not, mostly it's not. It's, you know, me relying on other people or relying on people's words, which if you're, if, you, if you're not a man of your word, I... I don't know what kind of life you're living. I can't, I can't understand that. But that was how I was feeling. That album starts out with like some joy, you know, but it moves into other things because the joy doesn't last forever. It was kind of my thinking. And it kind of goes to a dark place. And then it kind of gets to a, um, right at the end, I recap it. If you, if you realize I recap it at the end, I find, I find strength in my ability to write a song called, I don't know. And it's about, it's not even about any specific person. It's about the feeling and the emotion of overcoming and about the thought that 
the the ability to overcome the situation is there. The, the thought of that person that will be there for you is there. The thought that you'll be able to get through the situation by either your own means or with somebody by your side guiding you is there. And even though you don't see it right now um, or feel it right now, it's there. Yeah, there's there's actually some really cool... I think it was called I Don't Know. Was it I Don't Know? It is, yeah. Okay, yeah. I just want to be with you And I, I dream of you I dream I wonder if you feel it too I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know I just want to be with you But you wouldn't believe all these memories that I got locked in these tapes with these eight millimeters. You wouldn't believe the outtakes. You wouldn't believe the cakes we would eat on these holidays. So here I am, straight living in the past, and my life today just blazes by. It's so fast. Stop and take a minute Gotta stop and take a second Or I might forget it Poof, gone Gone, gone Oh, oh, that's why I write a song That's why I put these lyrics together And put them in the mix Whatever, you think it's a hit Then you enjoy it Ultimately, I'm living life High up on a balcony The skyline is so comforting to me I want a sweet woman to share my life I want a sweet woman to call my wife Now I don't think I'll have all these kids Or that white picket fence Or whatever she said But I wanna turn this house into a home These thoughts and I are alone Girl, just make yourself known Let's go I just wanna be with you This is for you And I dream of you I dream so much strength in that and I found so much power in that and I found when I was doing vocals for it I just was like I was genuinely happy at the end of it I'm just like yeah and you can even hear me I'm like ad-libbing I'm just talking I'm like yeah it feels good babe like it feels good like all right like I know you're out there I just can't see you you know like I know what's gonna happen I just don't know when like it was really cool like it was this moment of I just ex expressed my entire emotional roller coaster but then at the end i recapped it like but but guess what we're gonna rise above this shit and you know what i don't know where you are i don't know what's going on i don't know where i'm at but somewhere someday somehow like we're gonna rise above this and i'm excited for the future is what i say that's it and that's that's just me trying to be uh feeling that and i'm hopeful and i and i really am and i really was at that time because what the fuck am I going to do? Am I going to sit here and just be like depressed the whole time? Like, I feel like there is a, if you're going to sit and be depressed and sad and butthurt about everything, good. In fact, you should be for as much time as you need. We're always told to suppress that shit. We're always told, oh, fucking 
suck it up. Suck it up. Be, be come on, be tough. Let's go. Like we're in a like we're in a fucking high school football team. You know what I mean? No. No. We're humans. We all have emotion. We all go through some shit. We feel stuff. If you're going to be fucking depressed, if you're going to be sad, if you're going to be upset, if you're going to feel a certain way, then fucking feel it. Be that. Let that flow through you. Let that happen. That is natural and it should happen. You should never be oppressed or suppressed on any of that. And then when you're ready, when you're ready to find the strength, slowly but surely work your way back up and take as much time as you need. That's my thinking of it. I think of it as no different than writing a song. Take the time you need. If it's not done, if it's not there, fine. Come back later. Come back when you have that energy, when you feel that, when you're able to overcome that. And when it's there, when that spark's there, go. If it's not, then don't. That's how I feel about feelings, like, in general for people. I think it's okay to be at a certain place. I think it's all right. You shouldn't feel a certain, you shouldn't feel any negativity with how you feel about anything. You should be confident in your ability to, to be at that spot. You know, does that make sense? No, 100%. It's strange for me because I think pretty much around this time is when I started talking to you around 2012. I think it I was mean, 12, yeah. And it was weird because I, um, we were both going, because you were, you were kind of coming out of uh, that kind of bad time of your life, but you were also kind of still in it. You were figuring things out. And then 2012 was about when my life started going super how I planned. And I remember that um, I had been listening to you in, you know, the all gens gamers podcast and all that stuff for pretty much like two years prior before that Right. was watching and like EMU review and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Um, but I remember it was when you released nothing's forever that I was like, I really wanted to be more engaged in you as a person because I felt like there was a lot of things inside of nothing's forever that I connected with. Mm. And I still, I still feel like, I mean, of course it's personal preference because I listened to it a lot at that time when I was going through all that stuff. But I think nothing's forever is still my, my favorite music that you've ever put out. Man. It's awesome. The big words, man. I appreciate that. For now, the man I go and grow. You know I need this in my life more than anything. You know I need this music. I need these beats that bump, that bump, 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 bump. That's how we get down. It's something about the way I flow over the track. Something about that. You ask about that. I'll show you all of that and show you how to run. I was sitting there and I, I had this. And I just loved it. And I was like, oh man, that's so awesome. And I was playing around with it. I was like... I like that, so then I went and I composed the drum beat for it, the drum loop. It's kind of fun.
funny that I walk alone, but I choose to walk alone. I prefer to walk alone. I appreciate that. I do feel that Nothing's Forever has the, out of er anything and everything I've made and produced up to this point, it has the most emotional inspiration put into it. Like those songs were written directly from, directly from my feelings of so many negative places, you know? So it yeah. stemmed specifically from there, you know, like my recent one came directly from being happy and being like, in mm -hmm. like completely in love with, you know, life and with my situation and, you know, showing my love and respect for Stephanie and like, you know, that's where that comes from. And it's a whole different, completely different feeling and emotion uh, than nothing's forever for sure. And that's, what's great about it is that there's snapshots in time, there are moments in time. And I'm so glad that it was printed like that. So we can always revisit. You never know. It's that right there. The fact that you told me that like it has, it has helped you. And like you go back to that time even though maybe sometimes it's hard to listen to some of the songs because they remind you of a certain person or time or moment or emotion or feeling, at least you can look back on it and um, see the growth. That's what's important. There's three songs right at the end of Nothing's Forever. Yeah, it's... Okay, I brought it up just so I make sure I had it right. I knew yeah, no, one no. of them. And yeah, Be Right, and then it goes into I Don't Know, and then uh, Let You Know. Let You Know, I can't. Yeah. I uh, I can't listen to any of those songs anymore because it's I don't know it's too hard for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, yeah, no, I understand completely. I understand, man. Wham, bam. Those are those are powerful ones. I really ended it powerful, didn't I? I just yeah, right those in. are good ones. I always know how to end. Someone told me that actually. I don't remember who told me. Did you tell me that? You yeah, told me, me that. <laughs> it was you. You go, man. You really know how to end albums. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think my favorite song by you ever is 11 p.m. And I think that's also the end of a of one of those remix albums too. Oh wow, that's my Animal Crossing remix. Yeah, I I still think that's my favorite song that you have. Wow, no shit. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's good to know. Wow. I always really liked that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a. I made it into a slow jam. Yeah, I can hear it. brown. And the little bells. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, I do some, I think I do some singing and some rapping in there, don't I? I think I do. Yeah, I think that's the only song on that whole album that you do uh, vocals on. Yeah, you're right. I didn't spend a lot of time on that song. It just goes to show. It doesn't matter. Sometimes, man, when, when, it's, when, the, when the storm is happening outside and the lightning strikes, it's there. You know, just go for it. Which one is that off of? Is that off the first one? I'm pretty sure it is. That's off of I, uh, yeah the video game remixes. Yeah, it's because it's the yellow covered one, right? Yeah, the one that Hanzo drew. Yeah, yeah. Let's say I remember. I remember the cover. I can't remember which number it was though. <laughs> Actually, do I have it even queued up in here? Steph is making pizza. I can smell it. it's cooking. How's your pizza there, Steph? Got anything going? How's your pizza? Is it okay? Not good. Oh boy, <laughs> she's looking at me funny. She's just lying to you. What happened? You got the pepper seasoning? I'll rely, I'll rely the message. What happened? Um, it's too garlicky. She knows me. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're making another pizza for me? Oh, you don't have to do that, love. It's okay. I can I can just eat and complain about it. Just... <laughs> oh, well, okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I have a feeling 
she liked it too much and then ate the whole thing and now she feels bad and she's making you a new pizza. Dude, you you actually are onto something. So Brandon thinks that you actually like the pizza way too much and just ate the whole thing and are making <laughs> making me a new one. Which that sounds actually correct. Brandon, don't tell me secrets. <laughs> too late. Too late. Yeah, it's on um yeah, I have it right here. Let's see if we'll play it just real quick. It's a uh, it's the last song on that album. Go, can you hear it? Yeah, I can hear it if you're if that was to me. Yeah. <laughs> I meant Animal Crossing. Oh, dude. I've got to find a way. I had fun with that verse. I forgot all about find it. Find a way to your heart. Oh, dude, and I threw in piano at the end. Dude, that is a great song. I forgot all about it. It's it's crazy to me how different your voice sounds even just there. Oh, man, my voice is getting so low as I get older. So yeah, low. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I guess know. I know. I didn't notice how much it changed until you just played that. That's Dude, crazy. I know. So, uh, so recently I've been going through my, you know, I've been going through my back catalog, doing the background beat stuff and I'm pulling all my instrumentals and stuff, but I'm also going back to my master tapes on stuff and I'm listening like personal invitation and higher standard and even nothing's forever to be honest. And it's crazy how like high pitch, my higher pitch my voice is. It's crazy. I agree. It's really weird to listen to. I'm just getting, man, my voice is getting lower straight up, dude. My eyesight is staying the same, but my voice is getting lower. <laughs> I got to listen to that song again, dude. I really like that. 11 p.m. That's his favorite That's his favorite uh, song of mine. I didn't know that. I even said animal droppings in it. That's so funny. I forgot about that. How's this pizza, Steph? Oh, this is the bad one? Yeah. This is, yeah I, to <laughs> I, I put it half in my mouth. Hmm. Here you go. It's salty, all right. That's for damn sure. Fuck, give me a Sprite. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, I'm sorry to derail everything there, Brandon. But when you said that, ah, when you said it was your favorite song, I was like, wait a minute. I, I got to revisit this. Yeah, man, 20... When did I do this album? I think, I think it was 14, maybe? August 1st, 2013, bro. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so if you I mean if you want to, we can kind of just go into more so of your your life now. Well, my voice is lower, that's for sure. We learned that today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. I I just feel like if maybe if we go any further than that then 
it will be going back over what you already spoke about in the last one. So I honestly, I feel like it's still like on the same course and heading, but it's, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of crazy and it's, it's a different kind of uh, frustration. You know, it's a different kind of sadness. You know what I mean? It's different, but the same. Do you feel like you're balancing all of your stuff uh, proficiently or more so do you wish you could improve on it? I wish I could improve on it greatly. Yeah, I'm having a very difficult time with with my schedule and what I'm doing right now. And I'm knuckling down and working the third shift, overnight shift to have a living, you know, but it's it's very difficult. Yeah, man, I mean, I pretty much get one day off. I don't see Steph a lot. I don't see her during the week at all. I don't have the extra time to invest in my in building my brand the way that I want to. And uh, that's that's key. I have to be continuously in people's faces and doing things and engaging. And I, I don't have the time to do it. Um, and so that's that's hard. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm thankful to have a job during this time. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm continuing to to work very hard at it um, and dealing with lots of corporate settings is something that I'm finding that I cannot stand. And there's so much dysfunction and disrespect in those settings that I don't get down with. And it's, it's hard to sit and deal with it, you know, but you have to try to, you know, I got, I got to try to make a living where, where it's at right now. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, no, I wish I could, I need to do better at it. I'm just trying to figure out the right way to do that. And so far, I, so far I've been successful since March of the schedule that I'm currently on and I've maintained it for the most part. Sometimes I have to just push a podcast episode out a week or something. But other than that, I've really maintained it and stuck with it. But, um, it's been, it's been rough. It's been, it's been tough to do what I, what I'm currently doing is a full-time job. And, um, and I look at it as such and I want it to, I want to continue to grow it and I want to get out of what I'm doing. Uh, I'll call it the nine to five and uh, invest a hundred percent into my entertainment. And that's always been the goal and always been the drive in everything that I do, whether that be, you know, uh, investing in a, a, um, a business to create a gaming convention, you know, game on expo, whether that be, you know, creating, um, you know, content or, uh, you know, investing to do DJ streams or investing to do podcasts in the new setting and getting a camera to do this. And, and I know there's so many gears that are turning and, you know, they're all not turning equally. And so it can be, it can be rough sometimes. So I'm working on it. I need to improve on it. People tune in and they tune in Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights and they see me on Twitch and I'm, and I'm, I'm actually living my, my passions through that. And I'm doing that and they may see a three or four hour, glimpse of me and what's going on, but I want to share more. That's why I wanted to do this with you and talk openly and completely honest and candid uh, about life and about what's happening is I want to fuck man. Let me just be real, dude. I want to leave my nine to five and I want to do this every single day, like daily vlogs. I want to be DJing like all the time. I want to be streaming every day. I want to be doing podcasts all the time. I want to interact with people. I want to engage. I want to interview industry people. I want to just like completely do this fully. And, um, it's easier said than done, right? It's trying to find that balance of 
where can I cut the fat? This is something I talked about earlier. Like, where can I cut the fat? What do I not need to invest my time in? And where can I invest it? And even if it's somewhere new, you know what I mean? Like, where can this, where can I invest it in? So it, I'm, I'm thinking about it, Brandon. I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at it. We'll, we'll continue to grow and see where, where it goes. Do you feel, uh, you were kind of going on there about how when you get older, you kind of set into a different set of problems and things you deal with. Do you feel like one of your biggest things you feel sort of down or that you wish you could overcome is that you're not valued as much, valued as much as you'd like in your position or your your business or anything like that? I would agree with that. Yeah, it's definitely something I struggle with. I think um, I sometimes look at like the grand picture of the full scale. It's been difficult sometimes seeing the people that I've helped go up and do stuff where I continue to remain in a way stagnant. And I'm trying to figure out why that is and what's the reasoning behind it and or why don't people see the value in what I'm creating for them? Is it not the right type of content for value? And I think that's I think that's actually the kicker. I think that's actually the key to this lock. But if if there's not enough value, if people don't see any value in you or the content that you make, then they won't tune in and watch. And so I've always come from, I want to create content that, that I like, that makes me happy because if you're creating something that you're not passionate about and, or that you like, it will come out in your videos. It, it will show and you'll create low quality content. So I like to create experiences and I, I, I hold these experiences very high. I'm creating something that can be emotional, maybe is a bit in tune to areas that you may not think you can tune into and or may not want to tune into. And I would understand that because I think my realness might hinder that a bit, right? I think not everyone can understand that. I don't know, dude, like everyone wants to live a fantasy life, but like this is real life shit sometimes. And there's a time and place for everything. You know, I get it. They're like, look, man, I'm just trying to log into YouTube. I'm not trying to get real with you. But like, dude, once eventually, once like the RPG, like fantasy role ends, like we got real shit to deal with. And I want to be that guy that's there to like help you with that. You know what I mean? Like, cool. We can have fun. We can play games. We can fuck off. We can do all whatever. But when the time comes, you need like a real friend, somebody who can speak real truth and listen to your real issues and truth. Like even Percy, Percy called a few, few weeks ago and was talking about his job that he got because he heard something that I said about sell yourself. That those comments right there make continue right there. Just that alone shows that, okay, maybe to not everyone, but to people who are actually paying attention that actually want to listen to this shit, there actually may be something in there for you. You know what I mean? And that makes me feel really good because I've said this before, dude, like who the fuck am I? I'm just an average dude. I'm just Jason. I'm no one special. I'm just your everyday dude. And I just happen to have this microphone and the the background to use this technology to fucking broadcast my shit online. But I feel I feel good about the small wins that I have. I do feel like I need to somehow shift my content or what I'm doing to offer more value. I think I need to I need to refocus it. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I need to improve on it. I need to work on it. I'm just not exactly sure where or how. Cause I see Let's just call it what it is, Brandon, right? Let's just call it what it is. I see a bunch of other people that I know very well, that, you know, people in the community, people doing stuff that are completely ignoring their community. They're, they don't give a fuck about their community. They don't even invest into their community. 
it just doesn't make sense to me. I have, I have no other words. I have no other words. So yeah, I need to, I need to, I need to build upon it. I need to improve it. And I don't know if it's like a learning thing. Like I need to create more videos to help. And I experimented with this. I did some like audio lesson type videos, just throwing it out there. Those are test videos to see how they did, how, how they would go. And I'm, they're out there. You know, I did, I did uh, one about EQ and I did about a few about microphones. Those are things I know audio. I can help people. Everyone's streaming in this world today. They need help with their audio because everyone's fucking audio sucks. They need help. It's not a bad thing. Don't get all butthurt about it. It's just the reality of it. You need help and I want to help you. That's it. So I was thinking about doing that. And uh, maybe I will continue to. But uh, I'm feeling the waters, man. I'm feeling it out, seeing where we are. Kind of to backtrack into your response there. I guess I wish... We've spoken about this a little bit before. I I know I've told you and stuff like that. But I feel like, especially within your community and, you know, the things you're talking about, I, f- I feel like there is a huge group of people who watch your content, listen to it, come to the, you know, streams, your videos, and they all feel the same way and like, or appreciate what you're doing for them, but they just, there's some barrier there that they, they don't feel comfortable telling you, or maybe they do feel like, well, why would he care? He's, he's not going to reply to me, all that kind of stuff from all the other people that you were just speaking about. I just feel like you undervalue yourself in that regard for the fact that, I mean, even me, I, I told you about a lot of stuff that happened in my life and how meeting you changed a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of people who are like that, who just, like I said, maybe they're too shy. They don't feel like maybe it will matter. I don't know. There's some kind of barrier there, but I think there is a huge, a huge percentage of people, you know, that are excited about what you do and appreciate it just from afar too. So For sure. For sure. For sure. And I don't ever want to devalue any, any of that. And I agree completely with you. I sometimes take it personal, right? What you're talking about. Because I wonder, like, that barrier we're talking about, I take it personal. I'm like, wait, what is it? Because is it me? Like, I genuinely want to know. Are you not vibing with, like, my personality? Like, do you appreciate it, but you don't vibe with it? Like, in a way, I want to know because I've invested at least the last 10 years openly online at trying to create a place that has no border Mm -hmm. where people can come and have a fun, safe place and a friend. And I take it personal. I'm like, people don't like me then. Okay, cool. I'll accept that. I can accept that. If someone's came up to me and goes, you know what? I just don't like you. That's an acceptable answer. We all can have those opinions. Like that, I would accept that. But I'd also say like, who do you like then? <laughs> yeah. Who do you like? Do you like people that are mean to you? Like what the fuck? <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't know, man. I think personally for me, I mean, this is just my opinion. I have no idea if this is holds any sort of accuracy, but I feel like there's maybe like a level of intimidation there because you do, you're very honest, you're very right. blunt. And maybe there is like a, a, a barrier there that people aren't willing to accept. Cause I mean, you are being honest and you should be honest and you should be straightforward with any person you're talking to a friend in uh, whoever you're in a relationship, parents, family, whatever. But some people just aren't, you know, ready to accept that that's the best way to handle a situation. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. The truth is hard to hear sometimes. Right. It's going back to me being a little kid, being observant. 
right? So I think the nice thing about it, though, if you want to really break that down is like, if we have a conversation, and this is the great thing about, this is actually what I learned a lot about when I was younger and my parents would argue with each other. I was actually a great mediator for that. And I hated it because I don't like arguments. I don't like people arguing with each other, especially your parents. But when they would argue with each other, it would typically be about some stupid ass shit that they didn't even, didn't even need an argument. It was like a completely irrelevant argument, like a waste of breath, a waste of anger, a waste of sadness, right? It was a waste. And I would, I would, I would hear one, I would hear one person say this, right? And I'd hear another person say this. And I would be like, wait a minute, let's have a conversation about this. In most cases, I feel like you could solve anything with conversation, with communication. That's why I hold it so high. Whereas being observant, you can look at, you can look at what's being said. Someone can say like, well, I feel this way about this. And then this person can say, well, I feel this way about this. I, in the middle, can look at that and say, look, okay, you over here, here's, here's what I think about this, and I can see it from your point of view, absolutely. You know, maybe let's look at it this way. What do you think about this? Like, what do you think about that? Okay, we get it. Look over here. Hey, I know you're arguing with this person. Well, listen to what they said. Does that not make sense to you? Cool. What about your side? Okay, I see what you're saying. Your point is valid as well. It makes sense. Like, you can kind of see from both, like, what I'm saying here is that when an argument happens or when people are talking about stuff, they each think that their side is right and that's it. End of story. Incorrect. That's not the way it works. There can be a compromise. You can, you can, uh, you can agree to disagree. Both, both people can have legit um, information and accurate and truthful information about something. It's usually just one or the other person just being, um, you know, unrealistic and accepting certain facts about whatever the case may be, if this makes any sense to you. Like when you have something to talk about, look at all of the sides. It's not just one-sided. It never is. There's always multiple sides. So come to some sort of term, some agreement. It's like, okay, well, this happened, which caused this to happen. And we may not like that, but unfortunately that happened. So how do we overcome that? Right. Instead of just be like, well, this happened and fuck that person. So fuck them. No, no, no. Like I'm cool with that too. Yeah. Fuck them. Whatever. But now are we ready to resolve it? Now let's resolve it. Let's fix it. Let's talk about it. You know what I mean? That's how I come at it. So like communication is huge with me. Like I remember our early conversations, Brandon. I remember talking with you about very early conversations. We talked a lot about this. And a lot of times I was I was pretty blunt with you about a lot of stuff like this. And you with me as I was opening up talking to you, you were very blunt about things. And it was it's hard to hear sometimes, but I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're fucking right. You know, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, we need to now fix this. And even with you, you know, helping you through your situations and stuff, you're like, hey, that happened, but you know what? You now you need to figure out the next step because shit ain't working. You know what I mean? So just being real about it. And I feel like that's the only way to be. And I feel that's a great, that's a great way to be. Why would you want to talk with somebody who wants to just agree with you and fill your mind with a bunch of bullshit that is irrelevant to helping you Become better. That blows me away. I don't want to have a yes man or a yes woman next to me. I want to have somebody who's going to help me and look at the situation. Fuck, I talk to Steph about everything all the time. And sometimes she comes back and she's just like, ah, well, it might be because you're this way. Or maybe it's because you tried it and you did it this way, which then in turn 
did this, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, yeah, I can see how that can be interpreted. I can see how somebody might think that. Okay. You know, and she really breaks it down, and that's what you need. You need someone to bounce stuff off to give you real, honest, direct feedback, but <laughs> as we learned, it's hard. Not a lot of people can accept that. I, in fact, found that out recently at my corporate job. I had one of my, <laughs> I've talked about this uh, earlier, but I had one of my, um, one of the big wigs in the company call me disrespectful. It was actually one of the greatest achievements of my life that I can razzle somebody in a position, a management position to break out of their, their shell and get so upset about my clear, direct, and honest feedback that was not disrespectful one bit for them to be like, fuck this guy. He's right. And I cannot handle him. I have to attack him. It was amazing. It was the most amazing thing. I had like everyone rallying around me like, wow, Jason, holy shit. You, you did something here we've never seen before. And of course, nothing will happen. That guy will still... <laughs> Never get talking. He won't be spoken to. He will not be rep reprimanded. He won't, nothing will happen. And that's okay because that's the corporate bullshit going on. But it's really cool. It's really cool because usually they're the ones that fuck you over. And I was able to actually like, hey, actually, dude, this isn't, this isn't right. And you need to actually do better. And it was great, man. It was great. Anyway, total, total derailment. I don't even know where we went there, but. I guess the next thing would... I think it would be important. Which So how do you deal with all of those things personally? Because I know, I mean, we don't have to go too far into it, but you did have that um, health issue. And I think from what you said, the doctors and everything told you is from a lot of built up stress and anxiety, depression, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, do you feel since after that happened, you have learned not necessarily different ways or maybe different ways uh, that you've kind of been able to cope with all of that stuff better. So it hopefully doesn't lead up to a building point like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when that happened, when I had that health scare there and, you know, once that was all over, I had a completely different outlook on things. And I realized that I needed to just calm down I need to breathe. In fact, I wrote a song after that called Breathe um, based entirely off that, that whole situation. Um, and I need to just focus on taking things slower and at a, a realistic pace. I need to not let things get to me as, as much as I can. And I need to just like, just chill out, just straight up, just, just chill out. Not let things bother you. I, I've always let things bother me, get really stressed out. And now I've kind of just let things bounce off. And it's actually been very, very helpful. Very helpful. But now I'm just like, hey, look, if, uh, if I miss a podcast episode, if I, if, I, if I had one scheduled and I needed to do it, fuck it. If I, if I can't do it, fuck it. Tonight, like, am I going to do a DJ stream? Oh, yeah, one scheduled. Am I going to be able to get any sleep before it? No. Am I stressing? No. Do I just cancel the DJ stream? Sure. I don't give a shit. It's okay. I need to do it for me. I'm not going to like be crazy about it. Steph comes in here with a fucking garlic lick pizza. 
All right. She's like, she comes in here like, pizza's all fucked up. What do I do? Take a bite. Yeah. Pretty garlicky. I don't know what to tell you. You know, like, it's okay. She's not stressing. I'm not stressing. It's not the end of the world. At least we have a pizza to eat. You know what I mean? So I've, I've looked at things a lot. What? Oh, she's stressing. No, she is stressing. I'm not. I'm not, but she is. So her heart rate just went up. She ate a few slices. She's got high blood pressure now. And she's freaking out. See, me, not not freaking out. Because I can go eat anything. And I'm just happy she's making pizza. But I can eat anything. Doesn't Not a big deal. Yeah, I just try to relax, man. Try to kick back. Take it slow. And not have these things affect me. And I've, I've really found that it's helped me big time. Dude, I walk slower now. One thing has changed completely about me. Other than my... My voice dropping three octaves <laughs> is that is that I I walk slower and I do things slower, I really do, and I find it to be very very good for me. Just slow the fuck down. I used to be go 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 so much people everywhere go 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 go. I kind of I kind of just relaxed on that, and it feels really good. So that's kind of my big my big thing that's changed since then. Slow the fuck down. Don't let things bother you that much. At least the things that that you can control anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, some things yeah. are some things you can't really control. It's like, ah, but all the small shit, just let it go. Um, I I did have some kind of like miscellaneous questions that I wanted. There's a couple that I definitely want to ask you. Sure. Um I think one that kind of revolves back to your kind of central theme of your podcast is um I do want to know, was there, um, that you can remember, was there one video game that kind of maybe had a, a theme or a character or something in the storytelling that kind of made you think of a situation or maybe just an opinion you had on that subject change because of that game? Games for a long time had stories, but didn't have stories that I could really connect to. And that really changed um, with Half-Life 2. And I know I've gone on record and said this before, but in Half-Life 2, you really took on the role of, of Gordon Freeman. And you really felt like for the first time, you were actually that person and becoming someone in that world. And I actually got down with a lot of the stuff that was going on there with all the soldiers and the corruption that was going on and them taking people and kidnapping people and changing them and mutating them and like... It, although it's a fictional story, you know, situations like that exist in this world where, you know, people are being kidnapped and um, killed. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's real, real stuff. And we have this, you know, psychotic brainwashing uh, president or whatever he's, you know, the, the overseer of the, the city, whatever they call him, whatever title he is or has, you know, like these are all things that are like real in a way. So I, I felt like a connection to it. I'm like, wow, okay. Like we're going to try to escape and, and, and fix this corrupt world that we're in. Um, and it's not always going to be peaches and cream and stuff like that. And I, I felt like that game really, really spoke to me in those ways because I also agreed with a lot that was going on in there. Um, when you have, you know, like the resistance and you have the, you know, the faction of people who are trying to, to escape and trying to, better themselves and get out of a bad situation, but are being killed and slaughtered in the process. And, and you're seeing it firsthand and it really, really changed my life. It's, a, it's actually a game I love, I love today and, and 
once a year I go through it and I play it. Um, I haven't in the last couple of years, unfortunately. I've done some co-op with it and played, but uh, I used to try to go through it once a year and play it all the way through just solo because it's so fun and it's that that important to me. So yeah, I would probably say Half-Life 2. It, it really it really changed me. But yeah, there were games, there were earlier games. I mean, like Chrono Trigger was a great game. And I hate saying it because people are like, oh, Chrono Trigger, oh, because it's just it's like a really popular RPG and everyone like, dude, uh, I bought that game when it wasn't shit. And then no one said shit about it. They were just like, oh, it's a new great game from Square. Like, okay. It wasn't this big cult following thing. But like the time travel in that game, the players, their stories, they all have families and backstories and and come from a certain place and uh, the, going to the future and then going BC and then, you know, you know, ex exploring all these places and, and uh, dealing with like Lavos and this this entity that's destroying the world and burning it and uh, it's just like, dude, it's amazing. It's an amazing story, and I really love Chrono Trigger uh, for that that specifically. So those those are a couple of games that really stand out to me that that really change a lot for me. I think that's fair. I also think it's always weird to me that if someone said that you know if you picked Chrono Trigger because it's popular generic whatever the reason those games are so popular is because they're so well done and you know a true. whole very true yeah like generations of people liked it yeah <laughs> so i don't understand when people say that either but yeah and i don't know maybe people don't say that but i just i feel like they say it in their head when i mention that because they'd be like it's almost like what's your favorite game uh super mario bros you know like wait, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like my top 20 NES video that gets, I get <laughs> destroyed in the comment section every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are literally telling me to go kill myself in the comment section because I don't have Metroid, Zelda and Mario in the top five, like, or at all. Fuck off, man. You Fuck aren't allowed off. to have a personal opinion on anything. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm like, and my comments, man, I come back, I fire back. I'm like, hey, you know, you, you know what, folks, you should go watch that. You should go to that video and just go look at the comments and you'll see me sprinkled throughout. Uh, I respond to these people with like, you know, I, I troll them back. I'm like, hey, you know, we'll go make your own fucking video and, and post it. You know, like I, Stephanie and I were laughing a couple of weeks ago. She was saying, um, we were talking about that and I'm like, I honestly want to do another video and just do my top 20 or like top 25 and just have it cycle three games over and over the whole time. <laughs> just Metroid, Zelda and Mario, just cycle those all the way down. Like number 20 Metroid, like, you know, number 19, Super Mario, number 17 Metroid, <laughs> number 15 Super Mario, you know, like fucking Hello. You happy? No, it'd be really funny. Maybe I'll do that on April Fools or something. It'd be really funny. So yeah, those games really spoke to me though. Half Life and uh, Chrono Trigger; those really changed. And you know me, I'm not really a huge RPG fan, and like because I'm I'm kind of a pleb and kind of a noob, and like it's hard for me to like get inside the story sometimes. But man, sometimes those stories speak so loud to me, you cannot ignore it. And those are those are a few games uh, where yeah. I cannot ignore it. And then I guess the same sort of question but just with uh any music in i mean it could be you know from when you're a kid all the way up to now music that has like changed my life or or what what are you 
like impacted me? Gosh, that's a huge question. Yeah. I'm just like anything specifically that maybe helped you through a tough time or, you know, something like in the lyrical content made you kind of like think of something differently or anything like that. We already all know this music is very much more than just music to me. It's, it's an emotional experience and it does so many things along the way. A lot of byproducts because of it. Um, and in fact, the reason why I've invested my, really my entire life or, you know, young teen years into adulthood of, of going after it is because of this exact reason is that music can do this. It can, it can help, it can heal, it can change, it can inspire, it can motivate, it can do so much. Um, it creates things every day, every single day and it helps people. And I love that about it. So even if you're listening to a song in like a low or dark time in your life, it can be, it can be that light. It can be that inspiration. It can actually, it can be that one thing that keeps you from jumping off that cliff, right? It can be, it can be that thing. And whoever wrote the music and wrote, produced it and released it, like they might, they may not even know the impact it has, but it's out there right now doing that. And that's, that's why I want to continue to do it. And then just speaking about, I mean, some of the songs, I mean, there's literally thousands. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know where I could, where I could start. I mean, I love songs that do something. I love songs that make me feel a certain way. And some, some songs actually create like the mood and the emotion and just the melodies that they have or the way that they're, they're saying or the lyrical content or the way that they are recorded also play a role that people don't don't necessarily know about or and or will see, of course, it's audio, but the way that things are recorded and the environments that they're in play a huge role, you know, on the way that they sound, which impact you as well. It's real technical, I know, but it, it does play a role. I like I love like early my early years, I love Phil Collins. I listen to Phil Collins a lot. I remember in high school I got his greatest hits. And he had so many, I mean, that whole album, if you just want a great overview of Phil Collins' collection, get his greatest hits. I think it was released in the late 90s. I feel like he's had like four or five greatest hits albums, but um, one in the late 90s was really, really good. Um, one song, I love so many songs from him, but Rain Down is a really great song. Huge, big drums, great, great squealing, awesome guitar, incredible melodies, great vocal. It's a, kind of a slower song. You know, like in the chorus, it just says, he wish it could rain down. And like, you can actually, in the song, like you, you, I don't care who you are, like you picture the rain actually coming down. Like it's so powerful. And that song really spoke to me early on. Love it. He had so many great slow jams. Oh my God. He's the king of that. So anything from him, but um, the entire Daft Punk Discovery album. I couldn't even pick a song. Just let it play. It's absolute musical magic. It's probably my top one of my top three albums ever made. Ever. It's that good. It's just so amazing. Um, the songs are incredible. They uh, they're they're groovy. They they have just great emotion. It also helps that they sampled lots of disco stuff throughout. I mean, it's it's very very good. Very funky. Great production value. I love the way everything sounds. The instrumentation. It's so nice and. Um, yeah, 2001, man, it was a great time. Takes me to a great spot. I remember that a lot. It was definitely heavily in music at that time. Uh, it was a great time. So yeah, Discovery. Um, a couple songs I will actually point out um, from the Chemical Brothers. Love Chemical Brothers. 
a few songs that you should probably go listen to uh, today. Listen to Star Guitar. That one holds a really special spot. I was actually visiting. I listened to Star Guitar when I was coming down here to visit uh, CJ one time. And uh, uh, it was 2004, I believe. And uh, I was visiting him and we were listening to this album. Like it had just came out. I think it had just came out. That or maybe it was the first time I'd heard it. But um, great song, has this awesome buildup and just a great, great dance melody throughout. There's there's definitely some like parts in that song that where the the, the notes that are played, like the, the, the pitch and the keys that are played and the guitar and the bass line and the drums and the hi-hat being all washy. And man, it's just, it's just a, I want to say it's a juicy song. <laughs> That's any way to describe a song. It's how I describe songs. It's just super juicy. It's very nice and lush. And I love it. Very, uh, very cool dance groove song there. Um, and then two other ones from them, kind of slower jams that I really, really like. Uh, man, they're, they're an emotional um, journey. These songs start one way and they build and then they have this like you, you go over the peak of the mountain and then it's just like freeing and then it goes back down. It's honestly, it's, it's a really cool journey. I, I, I hope all of you can go check them out. Check out Surface to Air and check out Pioneer Skies. Those are two songs that really are amazing. I love them dearly. And then you know, all the hundreds of Neo Soul and Slow Jam songs from the 90s. I love all of those. Take your pick. <laughs> That's a big question. It's hard for me to answer that, man. You know, it's like this. So and it depends on your mood too, right? So if you're feeling a certain way, like you want to listen to something else, sometimes you want to be more, more this way or more that way. I mean, dude, Rage Against the Machine is one of the greatest bands to ever come out. And even their music, their lyrical content is relevant today. Almost what, 25 years later. It's crazy to think. So yeah, man, like I love Rage. So much, so good. Definitely influential and inspired me a lot on the drums back in the day. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a hard question for anyone to answer, just because usually people listen to just so many different things at so many different times that mostly all of your stuff that you listen to becomes important to you in some way. Right, and the fact that we have it all at our fingertips, it's all completely mm-hmm. available now at a click of a thumb. Like, wow, you know. I could have never imagined this uh, 20 years ago. It's really cool. I mean, unless you want to speak about anything specifically, I think that was pretty much summing up my questions. I think it's been great, Brandon. Honestly, I think it's been great. Um, It's been nice to just sit and chat with you. And like part of me wants to like apologize for just rambling about all this because it's just so kind of weird for me still to talk about things completely open and unfiltered, but I feel that I feel it's been great and I, I feel really good about it. And I appreciate you even coming to me and saying, Hey, let's do this. And I, that means a lot to me, Brandon. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. I think, uh, I think a lot of people like to, to speak like this, but maybe just don't have the the place to do it. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people think this way or think about things in a more complicated, deeper way, but they just don't feel that maybe their feelings won't be accepted or listened to, or they just don't have a person that can do it with. I don't know, but I think it's important. Definitely, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. 
I think I'll I think I'll leave it on one last one last uh, story here to wrap it up, and I think it's a great it's a great reminder and or shot of adrenaline for for somebody. It definitely was for me, and I think I did tell the story on the ten year episode, but I'm. It, it doesn't matter. I'm going to say it again because I think it's it's that important. It's actually something that I live by um, every day. And sometimes when I forget it um, or when I'm in a situation where something is happening and I'm, I'm feeling a certain way, I try to remember this and use it as inspiration to move forward. And the story is this. We talked about my, my musical journey quite a bit because really that is a, a very important, one of the most important things that's uh, in my entertainment career thus far. So those stories will continue and there's many, many more that I could bore you with. But the thing is, is that during during that battle of the bands when I was a freshman that we talked about earlier and speaking about that, we, we ended up winning that battle of the bands, right? So what happened, something happened after that that really changed changed my whole thinking. So Brandon, you would ask me if I had continued the music as a hobby or, or whatnot. I did continue that, but also I didn't want to get in band. Let's just be honest. I didn't want to join the band because I was like, no, people in the band are a bunch of band geeks. I don't want to be in there. I, plus, plus, I don't read music. I'm a fucking amateur. I got a drum set that's all fucking wonky. All right, my cymbals are all bent. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just hitting these things. That and I was like, no, all those people in there are going to be super smart. I don't know how to read music. I'm not doing that. No fucking way. So, cause, cause you know, the offer, not the offer was there, but like I knew about band in high school and it was there. So what happened after we won that battle of the bands, as we were getting off stage and we went off to the, we went off to the back, I was there standing uh, right by the door. There was a, a back door there that opened up to the school. This man comes up to me and he introduces himself to me and he says, Hey, I'm Mr. Betts. I am the band director here at Clackamas. And I shook his hand. I was like, nice to meet you. You know, nice to meet you. And, and he just looked at me and he goes, have you ever thought about joining the band? And I go, no, no. I go, no, I, I, I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I said, number one. And I, I remember saying this to him. I said, number one, I don't know how to read music. And I said, yeah, I don't really have any interest, you know, to do that. And, uh, and I said, I don't really, I don't really know how good I'd be at uh, hanging with everyone. I was very intimidated by that, of joining and being a part of a band when I knew nothing about it. You know, you look into a band room, right? You see everyone with their music stands and their music. It looks like a bunch of ink on paper, right? And you're tripping. You're like, what the fuck are they reading? It's like, I, what are you even reading, right? And this is the time I was failing everything, right? So I'm like, I'm not really interested in any of that. I don't think so. So he, he looked at me. He was like confused. He goes, he like looked at me with like disgust. He's like, what? This is a really crazy moment right here, right after I said that, after he gave me that disgusted look. He looked back at me and he goes, you know what? You need to be a part of something greater than yourself. And he goes, on Monday, you go and enroll your ass in my band. And he walked away. And I was like, whoa. And at first I was like, what just happened? You know, and I'm standing there like, what just happened? And in fact, he saw something in me that day that I didn't even see in myself. And it took him to come through and bluntly just say, you need to be a part of something that's bigger than you. 
Because there are things in life that are bigger than you. And if you want to take full advantage of this life, you're going to have to go out there and be a part of those. And I didn't really think about that until later that night. And I'm sitting there thinking, what did he say to me? Be a part of something greater than yourself. And that right there, that right there is, that is a phrase, a line that has always stood on, uh, above everything else that I've always thought of and, and tried to be a part of is like, you know what? If the opportunity is here, even if the opportunity is not here, I'm going to attempt to try to be a part of something that's bigger than me. Because I'm not all that. You know what I mean? Straight up. I think that was a really, really special and a, and a great moment. And I went and enrolled in his band on Monday morning. <laughs> I went and enrolled and I showed up. And he took me under his wing. And even though I didn't know how to read music, he taught me how to read music. This guy was amazing. He let me do what I do best. go get practice like they would have uh, lessons they have to go get their lessons done and private lessons and they have to sign out this like form the sheet you know to like prove from the instructor that like yes they had lessons on this day parents had to sign it all this sort of thing right and I always would be like look come on I'm not gonna go get lessons like and here was the thing I could do it all by ear I could listen to a song and then I could play it <laughs> like verbatim, like my other drum friends and stuff. They'd be like, where's your, do you need music? You need music? Like, no, I know the song. I got it. 
And I wouldn't even have the music up. I just do it by ear. And see, he knew that about me. And so even though, even though I was in there, I was handling my business. I was playing good. We were having a great time. Like he signed those forms for me. I didn't have any private lessons. I've never had private lessons. You know, he passed me with straight A's. It's because I was in there handling my business. I was, I was providing, I was doing great. And I was really enjoying it. I loved it. I mean, there are people in there that hated band, didn't want to be in there. And I, I feel bad that they were forced to be in there, but I loved it. And I, it was the greatest thing, man, doing drumline. And then mar we were marching and we, we traveled all over the place. We went to Vancouver, BC. We went to Disneyland and marched down Main Street. We did all kinds of shit. It was like so cool, man. And so his words that day definitely changed my life um, in more ways than one. It's something that I, I think about all the time. And whenever I'm in a weird place about deciding if I should or should not in a lot of situations, I always reference that. And I have uh, three or four students quickly uh, to recognize. I'm going to ask them to go ahead and make their way forward up to the podium here. Following students, uh, go ahead and come on here. Dustin Carlson, Jason Haney, Eric Calhoun, right? Eric Murphy's here. Now those three guys. And that award goes to Jason Heine. And lastly, our outstanding jazz musicians, uh, recommended by their students, and for having performed uh, numerous solos, improv and written, uh, go to both Dustin Carlson and Jason Heine.
yourself, thanks. Good luck. <laughs>